Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Let's go there! Presented by Luke's Pizzas. Remember, football is crazy, love is blind. Good luck, football, what a story. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. I'm talking about sports, and I'm coming. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Yes, sir. Episode 24 for the Bring Your Lunch Bell Sports Podcast. Is it 24 or 25? Is it? I think it's 24. Uh, in your notes, it says 24. It's our Griffey episode. Yeah, it's the Griffey episode. Last episode. I have no idea. Yeah, last like. episode was episode 23. What do I a know? A good year for bad takes. Uh, okay. <laughs> all he does is edit it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, you know the number. Yeah, yeah edit that out. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 24. Got Nigel alongside me to my right. What up, Nige? What it do, baby? And Lucas Clark off to my, well, kind of my 12 o'clock. What's up, Lukey? Not a whole lot. Ready for episode number 24. Look at that. We got a great setup going here. We got Lucas in his brand new chair that we were going to use for ice fishing, but we didn't get the chance to do. I don't know if you folks have been looking at the conditions for ice fishing, but not great. Suboptimal is yeah. what I've heard, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say, Nige. Really? A uh, little bit little bit warm out for this time of year. We, it was 60, 60 degrees today. It's crazy. Yeah, I was uh, I was making the... The other day when I was making the show notes expecting to record today, we were supposed to go ice fishing yesterday, and uh, we got a scouting report from my dad. He was going up to the property out in Republic, making his way back, stopped by uh, Fish Lake, and said that there was about... He was told it was four inches of ice, which is... That's good. But then just a big mound of slop on top, and it was supposed to be raining, be in the 40s, and it was just looking like a miserable day. So we opted out of it and ended up doing some fishing over at Angle Lake, which is we, nature we, which finest. We crushed it. Lucas, tell <laughs> us about fishing at Angle Lake. Yeah, you know what they say. We were fishing. We weren't catching. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just uh, a shame that the uh, game warden had to take those big, big trout from us, you know? Yeah. I was bummed about that. But it was all good. Uh, we were out on the boat for a couple hours. We were able to listen to the Ravens and uh, uh, Chiefs game when we were out on the water. And uh, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for Luke, he'll come break this down a little bit with his uh, parlays that or his undefeated record so far, 2024 with betting. But Ravens came up short. Chiefs are off to the Super Bowl. And uh, it's just how the NFL script wrote it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, did you want? Yeah, yeah. Throw that in. Lizard overlords, you know Lizard they're coming for overlords. <laughs> Thank you for that soundbite. The lizard overlords have decided that the script is in that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, and the only reason why that they haven't been the Super Bowl and why the refs have been favoring the Chiefs all year is because of the relationship between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Now we don't know this, but I did see on Instagram. That apparently Taylor Swift has generated an extra like three hundred and eighty million dollars worth of income for the NFL with her presence. So obviously the NFL has written the script that they wanted her at the Super Bowl. How do they account for that number? No idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's lizard math. (laughs) Can I can I get it? We don't know this. Uh, I don't have that one preloaded up, sorry. All right, Nigel, give me a we don't know this. No, we don't know this. This is a hoax. How about that? 
But yeah, so that's the uh, that's the big controversy right now in the NFL world. Everyone, it's uh, it's it's really it's a line you got to choose. Are you pro Taylor Swift being in the NFL or are you against it? I want to lead off by saying that uh, Taylor Swift is a psyop. <laughs> the uh, tell me more. Yeah, so this is all just this is all just uh, big government's plan to. Uh, Get you to take the COVID vaccine. That's what I've heard. So, um, you know, this is all. This is what it's all about. Travis Kelsey starts starts working for Pfizer on the commercials. Starts dating Taylor Swift at the same time, um, and you know that's it. That's that's the end of the story. They're trying to rig the election for Biden. I saw that the last oh, time they it? played in the Super Bowl was 2020, right? Mm. Right before the election. So and right before like the, the pandemic. So this is like the the double rigging. So is when the Chiefs win, then does that mean that Taylor Swift's gonna go like go on screen and be like, Vote for Byron and and that's gonna be the Well did you see the... were you paying attention to TMZ right before we started recording? No, I wasn't actually Well T M Z they got the news. But they said uh their poll I don't know where they got their poll from, but it was something like if Taylor Swift endorsed Biden like you would be more like you'd be more likely to vote for Biden, and like eighteen percent of people they polled said that yes, they'd be more likely to vote for Biden if Taylor Swift endorsed him. And on that same poll, seventeen percent said that they would be less likely to vote for Biden <laughs> if if it did. So you know, so I don't really know. Yeah, bit. exactly. It it yeah. sounds good when you hear one side of it, but realistically, it, it it's balanced. So in in all reality, though. We love Tay Tay, uh, but I will say we love love. We love love, um, and I, I'm 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 perfectly fine with this relationship. But that being said, I will say that this past week, my entire like joy in life has come from all the Instagram reels of um, of Lamar Jackson like entering the stadium with them showing like uh, Taylor doing the swag surfing and with uh, with Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes and like all those videos. That's been like 90% of my joy and laughter for the last week leading up to those games. And so part of me definitely wanted to see Lamar take them down just for, just for, I mean, we can talk more about that in a minute, but um, just for having those Insta reels come true for me, it just would have been, it would have been a special moment, but we do, we do want to see Tay Tay and, and uh, Kelsey in the Super Bowl. So we're good with that over here. Yeah, I'm really good with it. That was my Super Bowl pick. I don't don't know if you guys remember, but Ooh. when uh, Nigel forced me to make a Super Bowl pick earlier than I wanted to, I just went ahead and Rude. went ahead and told you the script a few weeks ago. Chiefs Niners, although I did have the Niners winning it. We'll get to our Super Bowl pick later, but we'll see if I stay or if I uh, <laughs> change. Should he stay or should he yeah, go? Or if I change my mind, but I won't. Uh, I won't jump ahead too far. Yeah. So I think the big thing that we need to talk about. And Luke earlier did say in his own words, it's kind of low hanging fruit, but between the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Brittany Mahomes, and now this Taylor and Travis thing, are they now like the, the most hated like couples in America right now, as far as NFL fans are concerned, there's a lot of controversy, or I guess there's a little bit of just, do you, people are either, all for it or they absolutely hate it and they hate seeing her every time that she pops up on the screen so to go along with that the, i'm kind of all over the place right now so let's let's circle it back 
Let's go back to Brittany Mahomes and Pat and Patrick Mahomes. They are an annoying couple, but do you guys do you guys hate them as much as the rest of the country hates them right now? No, I mean, I feel like we talked about this a little bit when they did the uh, the quarterbacks or whatever. You got a little bit more of a glimpse into their lives. Is it? I mean, I don't know if I understand all of the hate because like she's definitely annoying, but. I mean, the comparison I'd use is like LeBron James is that it's like, I feel like people like to hate on her, but it's like Patty's been dating her since high school. It's not like she's just some. Yeah, she didn't jump into it. Chasing coattails like once he had already won a Super Bowl or something like that. And like, sure, everyone's annoying, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I don't don't really get the hate. And, you know, Patty Mahomes, I feel like we kind of said this before again when we were talking about uh, the quarterback show on Netflix is that. He's just kind of a dweeb, kind of just like Kirk Cousins, but he's actually really good at football, so it like saves him, I guess. So I don't, I don't know that I truly understand all of the hate that Patty get. I mean, nobody likes somebody who they, who's beating their team all the time. I guess that's probably it. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's more a. Um, it's kind of like the Patriots from years past that everyone just hates them because they hate dynasties and hate greatness in, in seeing the same teams win over and over again. So I think that it's more, yeah, I think that Taylor Swift and Kelsey and Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes is all just part of the, it's easy to say that you hate them because they're kind of, you know, in the in the limelight and they're more like pop culture <laughs> related i guess so the people who aren't like hardcore sports fans like but still watch football or pay some kind of attention like it's easier to say you hate them and and hate the chiefs versus because that's all you really know about and that's what you see day to day on right your, on your instagram feeds and stuff but i think it's more a like people just hate dynasties and good teams and so eventually like once this after this season when it dies down like no one's gonna talk about taylor swift or not as much anymore i would imagine like but it's gonna be more just about hating the chiefs because they're good see i feel like the thing that's interesting about that though and people hating dynasties is that i just don't know that that is you might say that you hate dynasties but i feel like there's just no truth to that as far as like any of these leagues are concerned because the best rated Super Bowls, I feel like, are always, or NBA Finals, like, I know it's different than the NFL, but, like, Golden State Warriors and whoever LeBron James is playing on, like, that's the most watched yeah. NBA Finals because your casual fan will recognize the team because they're there more often. Yeah. Like, your diehards will watch anybody, but, again, NBA is different than NFL, but, like, last year you had Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat. Like not well, not and not it's because more will tune in, tune in for the hate factor too. Right, you know, you get like the, the person who's like, I just want to see them lose, so I want to watch it. So, versus like, I'm completely indifferent to these two teams, so I'm just not going to watch it at all. Versus the, the, I there's all there's always the bandwagon jumpers, but with I think for every bandwagon jumper, you have someone who who just like wants to wants to see the world burn and hates greatness and so they're they're just gonna jump on and be like i don't want to see this team win and succeed so so i'll tune in for that yeah yeah and just add one more thing to it too i think you're seeing now a few years later after tom brady and belichick have been separated that dynasty has died 
you're starting to see that now people appreciate it more now that it's gone. Like, because the Patriots were the same team a few years ago that everyone hated them yeah. and hated seeing them year after year going to the Super Bowl. But now it's like, oh, Tom Brady's the GOAT. Like, he's the greatest. And, like, it seems like there's a lot more Tom Brady likes than there are haters now. And same with Belichick, even though he's had a, some pretty bad seasons the last couple of years after Tom Brady departed. It's like he's still now getting a lot more recognition about being the greatest coach of all time rather than being like a cheater or having all these different Yeah, you, know, you remember him more, much more fondly than, than well, when they were in the middle of their dynasty. Exactly, run. and that's the thing is that, like, again, I think this is more of your casual fan uh, than it is your diehard, but it's like, why spend your time hating on whether it's Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or LeBron James and, like, hating on a dynasty and just appreciate it for what it is, is that you're seeing a truly great team and player and just yeah. enjoy it instead of being pissy about the fact that, I, I don't know, you're seeing greatness in front of you. Why don't you just enjoy it? Like, it's one thing if your team loses to them. Like, you can, you know, if you're a Ravens fan, you can be pissy about the Chiefs and blame the refs or whatever. But I, it doesn't just appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on a more important topic rather than this whole thing. Let's talk about how Taylor's gonna even going to make it to the Super Bowl. Now, check this out. <laughs> Taylor will be playing the final day of her tour, which will be in Japan, the day before the Super Bowl, okay? You guys tracking? Tracking, tracking. Okay, she's going to be in Tokyo, Japan. That's a 17 hours ahead of Las Vegas, which that's going to work in Taylor's favor, okay? Okay. You're still on board? Okay, the show should end around 11 p.m. on Saturday night in Tokyo, which is 6 a.m. on Saturday in Vegas. The flight from Tokyo to Las Vegas will take about 13 hours, which should put Taylor in Vegas Saturday evening. This means that she can arrive in Vegas the night before the Super Bowl and possibly be there to cheer on the Chiefs on Sunday. Will oh, she make it? Oh, she'll be there. She'll be there. But how? Um, sounds like she's got you're the, more you're than... the pilot. Okay. You're, you, you, I don't know how planes work. You just, I just get on a uh, jet stream. Yeah. That's how, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just another low hanging fruit, stupid bullshit thing yeah, that ESPN's I, posted. I'm, I'm really happy that she's going to be there. I think it's important, uh, for the scripts, for the league, um, the lizard overlords of the NFL <laughs> need this. And honestly, it's like I told you guys, it's the couple that America needs. Let's it just is. hope that they get engaged by the summertime and we see the, the does, couple that we all want. Does Travis pop the question after they get the dub? Just down on one knee on the 50-yard line? Wow. Was that uh, proposal to be engaged just a red herring? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa. We're... Uh, are we gonna Bra get? Yeah. Are Breaking we gonna get news. the moment? Are we gonna get the moment that the world needs? You remember Boise State? I mean, this Kansas City Chiefs team is underdogs, just like that Boise State team from years and years ago in the Fiesta Bowl, mm -hmm. where their star running back Ian Johnson, Ian something, what that sounds right, uh, uh, proposed to his cheerleader girlfriend after they win the Fiesta Bowl. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the ratings and? Nigel, do you work for the scriptwriters? <laughs> yeah. This feels like you have a lot of inside information. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, I think that that would be the biggest news in pop culture history. There you have it. Boom. And that's the show. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and break down the playoffs a little bit. So Luke, as I said at the intro, he is perfect right now with his uh, betting this year of 2024 so luke i'm gonna go ahead and give it to you right now give us a little breakdown 
on the NFL playoffs uh, up to this point, going up to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, we missed last week, so we'll just do a quick recap, right? Uh, I told you guys all the winning bets. I posted it. I think we posted my winning ticket on uh, on the Bring Your Lunch Pal Instagram, but Ravens did take care of business against the Texans. That game was sneaky in the first half. I think it was 10-10, yeah. including the Texans taking a punt back for a touchdown, but then Ravens just looked like the number one seed that they were supposed to be in. Yeah, it took care of business. Throttled them. Yeah. Then you had the Bills losing to the Chiefs. Uh, missed field goal by uh, Bass. Heartbreaking. Yeah, that was a that was a good game. Just, it was a good game. Just in general, that was a fun fun game. You probably had, I don't know the two. I'd say the two best teams now that uh, now that the Ravens didn't really look very good offensively. Um, you know, at least the two best quarterbacks that right now i would say like top you know when you're looking at like top tier it's hard to say lamar right now given the performance he had yesterday yeah and and i feel like lamar is one of those guys that's i I heard this on the radio today but it's like when it comes to like especially just like strictly passing quarterback like lamar you can't take away like the running ability and like everything that he does but like when it's strictly a passing game and it's one dimensional. Like I would take other quarterbacks over him and that, that I wanted Lamar to win. I wanted him to get the super bowl, like MVP. I, I'm totally with Lamar, but I think that, that Patty Mahomes and, and um, Josh Allen are, you know, one and two for when you're pl- when they're playing at their best, they're the two best quarterbacks. Well, and, I'll just go ahead and, because we can stay on the AFC side and just roll right into that Ravens-Chiefs game because I think you bring up a good point about Josh Allen and why you feel that way is that I, we were listening to the game on the radio and haven't gone and like watched all the highlights but seen a good amount of it though but from the sounds of it is it's like that's like the biggest difference between what you saw from Josh Allen against the Chiefs and what you saw from Lamar Jackson is that Josh Allen just did everything to try to win. Lamar didn't really run the ball that much. He yeah. was trying to just stay back there and pass, yeah. and it wasn't working. And they kind of fall under the same criticism. It's like if you run that way, like you're going to get hurt and you're going to hurt your team. Well, it's the playoffs, so like yeah, now you, you need to, and Josh Allen to. was doing that. Yeah. But then Lamar yesterday, I feel like he was trying to stay back there and throw, and it just wasn't working. Now, I also saw, which is wild to me, is that they only had six rushing attempts to running backs in the game. That's crazy. It was a game that was – Seven. It was fourteen to seven or seventeen to seven for the majority of the game. They were down ten points was the most they were ever down, and you only ran the ball six times to running backs. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Like that's your whole identity. So I don't know if that's Lamar checking out of run plays or if it's just they got starstruck <laughs> in the moment and and went away from everything that got him there. But I like Lamar, and so I don't think it should be a complete teardown of him, but. It's like your biggest game of your career, and it's like you didn't really, you didn't really run the ball. You kind of, and you didn't really throw the ball that well. Yeah, you also had some unlucky breaks for, for them in that game. You have rookie Zay Flowers fumbles the ball into the end zone, and that there's a touchdown off the board, or at least points off the board. So you have that, um, but the fact that they only ran the ball six times is wild, just considering the talent level of the receivers on that team. Yeah, it's not very good. I say that that uh, Josh Allen's a better quarterback passing, but 
he has 10 times the talent at receiver. Does he, though? Do you see the way Diggs played in that game? <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I think Diggs overall, still, though, Diggs, Diggs is still great. Diggs, Gabe Davis. Like, he didn't play. Gabe Davis didn't play in that right, game. He, I think that's a big. I, I, I mean, in general, though. Like, yeah. if you look at the course, it's, maybe not that particular game didn't play as well. But over the over the course of a season, he he has much better talent at his in his wide receiver room than than Lamar Jackson does. They're getting better. I think Zay Flowers is going to be a really good receiver. And you, when you have Mark Andrews, that's a pretty good receiver also. Isaiah Likely seems like he's a pretty talented. Yeah, Likely. Especially for a second tight end. Yeah. How like, many more years does Odell have left with the Ravens? Was it just a one-year deal? <laughs> zero. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know how many years he has left. I just mean I think he has zero years left in the league. Do you see his – I was telling Nigel, do you see Odell Beckham Sr. calling mm-hmm. Lamar a bum and telling him that it was his fault they lost and it wasn't his kid – it wasn't OBJ's fault? No. Yeah, that's good. So you're cut. Yeah. Wow. Don't, don't bite the <laughs> I don't, hand. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. like, also, it's like, I used to like OBJ, and for the most part, he see, it's not him saying it, it's his dad. You can't yeah. be held accountable necessarily for what your dad says, unless you're telling him to say it. But yeah. it's like, you're not that good. Who, yeah. are you to, who are you to talk about Lamar Jackson? Like, he's about to be, assuming he wins MVP, he's about to be a two time MVP. Yeah one of the most talented players in the league. Like, I don't know that you really – I don't know that's the guy you want to be picking a fight with. Yeah. yeah. I did see the question today, though, uh, regarding Lamar Jackson. Obviously, he's looking to be a two-time MVP and obviously a great player, but he is 2-4 and four in the playoffs, and the question was asked, is Lamar Jackson the guy that's going to take the Ravens over the top into the Super Bowl? Is he the guy that can do it? I think so. I agree. I think so. I think I don't, may, maybe maybe Nigel and I are just too much of Lamar apologists, but I think I think he is the guy, and they should have a team that's just geared up to be right where they're at every year. Like they're gonna have a top five defense every year, unless the Seahawks take their DC. More on that later. Yeah. Uh, but you're gonna have a good defense. I mean, again, I don't think they have that much talent outside of Lamar on their offense. Like, Mark Andrews is great, you know. I guess the problem is is that, to kind of sidestep the question a little bit, is that Patty Mahomes is just the Tom Brady of this era. There are plenty of good quarterbacks that played in the AFC, just like Peyton Manning. Yeah. But it's like Peyton Manning didn't have that great of a playoff record for overall because you're just – you at some point you find yourself against Tom Brady and you lose. Yeah. At some point you find yourself against Patty Mahomes and you lose. Like Joe Burrow's the only guy who's really gotten past him, and Tom Brady, right? Those are the only, yeah, those his are the only, only two, two. His only yeah. two losses in the playoffs, yeah. or and he lost in the Super. Bowl. He lost the Super Bowl with, to Tom Brady. I mean, no, I, he didn't lose. Oh yeah, against against the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. He lost one other game then, or was it to Tom Brady as well when he was still on the Patriots? Yeah, when he, I think it was Tom Brady's last Super Bowl win in the AFC Championship. He beat Patty Mahomes to get there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't his last Super Bowl because his last was in the end. With, with the Patriots. Yeah, with his the Patriots. Making sure. Yeah, we, yeah, that's why. I th- so he's only lost to Tom Brady twice, and he lost to Joe Burrow once. So I, I think Lamar and, like, Josh Allen is going to fall into that same camp, too, it seems like. Yeah, I was going to say, I would feel like Josh Allen's more in question because he's facing – it's every year that you're facing uh, Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, and usually for it's been for the AFC Championship a couple times. Yeah. I mean, I think that – even right now, if you were to bet on it, it's like the Ravens are going to be a top three team in the AFC next year again. They And offensive talent-wise, I mean, they have 
Zay Flowers. They're they're running their third and fourth string running backs. It seems like every. I, and again, year. if they had J.K. Dobbins, and, yeah. But how many times can you say that over? Yeah, I mean they yeah. they have to go back to the drawing board on that. They're gonna have to go. They have to go another, draft somebody, another talented person. But it's like their defense is always gonna be good. You're gonna be top five. You got to go get some more weapons but, and probably a running back. I mean, someone, I think, someone that can take some of those carries from Josh Allen or from, from Lamar Jackson and be a little more explosive. I think that's why the question is asked, though, right? Is it like, will he be somebody who can lead them to the Super Bowl? Because it's like you do have a good enough defense and you have Lamar Jackson on offense. So you should be a Super Bowl contender every year. Hard comparison, but it's like Patty Mahomes lost all of his offensive talent. And now he won. He won last year after they got rid of Tyree Kill, and this year, I mean, everyone talked about it. So like it was kind of a clown show on offense for the Chiefs because you got Marcus Valdez Scantling and uh, uh, Kadarius Tony dropping <laughs> yeah. passes left and right, and it's like, I just, do we just think do we think the Chiefs are going to be legitimate Super Bowl contenders? Because like they just don't have the offensive firepower. Yeah, and they didn't even have Tony for this game, too. They just sat yeah, him. Just I think that was strategic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're he can't, there's no way you can lose the game by dropping a pass if we just don't play you. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> yeah. can't drop He can't drop a fourth and five if uh, if he's not on the field. So, Yeah, I, I do think that Lamar is going to get over the hump at some point, though. I, I, I think it's just inevitable here. I don't know when, but I think in the next in the next two years, I think the Ravens will be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I'd like to see it for him. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see him in it and win it. Yeah, as long as they're not facing the Seahawks. Unfortunately, it's a victory lap type of day for the Lamar haters because you needed a you needed a big game out of him, and he kind of looked like looked like the guy that everyone low hanging fruit says like yeah. he can only run and he can't really pass. And if you put him in situations where he has to pass, they're not going to be that effective. But to be fair, Patty, outside of like. I think Patty started 11 for 11 and was basically just spamming the ball to Travis Kelsey. It's not like he was very effective either. Yeah, like those defenses especially were, after the first half. They yeah. went 15 of 15, I think, to start the game. And then after that, he I think was, somebody dropped it. What we were listening to it, I think he was 11 for 11 and somebody dropped it. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, basically, so, yeah he was basically perfect. 14 to 15. He was basically perfect yeah. through his first 15, the first two drives of the game. I think they scored touchdowns on. And then after that, the defense is locked in. And it was, I mean, that's the number one and number two scoring defenses in the NFL. So yeah. it kind of played out the way that it should have. It ended up being a low scoring game. Yeah. So, you know, for for all the people praising the Chiefs and Patty Mahomes, it's like, it's not like Patty was, you know, infallible in that game either. No, but he did make, he made the throw on third in the game to win it. And Valdez Scaling made the catch. And Valdez Scaling made the catch, exactly. But Baltimore still had – they had every opportunity to, to be in that game and win it. They just yeah. – That's why, I'm, again, to circle back, that's why I'm shocked they didn't run the ball more. Yeah. Yeah, being down seven, a good – although they, I guess they were down like 17-3 for a hot minute. No, there. they scored on their first okay. drive of the game. It was – Chiefs scored, it was seven. Ravens scored, it was seven. Chiefs scored, it was 14-7. And then they – scored the touchdown that got called back on a hold so they kicked a field goal went up 17 to 7 and that was gotcha and then that's what it was for that was the last score until yeah, the chiefs didn't yeah. score the entire second half yeah, right? that was the last score until the ravens kicked a field goal right with yeah with a couple minutes after they after they had the fumble in the end zone and a pick in the end zone yeah yeah and then they settled for a field goal late in the game to try to make it a one score game and try to get the ball back and that's when patty threw it 
yeah. to MVS yeah, yeah, yeah. to seal the game. Yeah. So. On third and long. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was a good game, though. So that poses the same question as well. We kind of broke it down a little bit with Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the Bills, what do they got to do to go over the hump to maybe find themselves in a Super Bowl? That's a tough question. <laughs> I, I think, think part of it is uh, part of it is playing well all season long and finding their stride earlier. It seems like that way they can have home field advantage throughout it. They did have home they field. They did have home field advantage. They would have had to play on the road against yeah. the Ravens, but they had home field against the Chiefs. True, but it's the Chiefs. <laughs> I don't know. I I think that uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm going to debunk my own argument because they were playing well at the end of the year, so they started off horrible and then and were on fire at the end. But seems like seems like they just that team kind of goes in goes in lulls over the years where they're like bad for a few weeks i think that's all i think that's all josh allen driven yeah he wasn't very good to begin the year he's turning the ball over a bunch they're not winning games he dials in he's playing lights out they win every game yeah and then they're back to looking good honestly i I do think that the biggest problem that the bills had without being somebody who watches the bills constantly is that their defense just wasn't very good, mostly because of injuries. Yeah. And injuries at safety. Von Miller had zero sacks this year. Yeah, he didn't have a good year. Again, age. Like, I mean, Von Miller's a great player, but also he's in his last act as a football player, and he's supposed to be basically their best pass rusher. Like, that's that's not good roster construction on your defense. I think their middle backer was hurt. In, like for a lot of the season and in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, their safety, is it Hyde, was like hurt a lot. Yeah. Just a lot of injuries on their defense. So, like, you need better depth. You need better players in general, and you need better depth so that when they do get hurt. Yeah. So. And surely the Bills did have a chance of winning that game, too. I mean, if you think about the time or when Bass missed that field goal, I don't know if you guys remember this, but. Josh Allen had a wide open receiver. I forget who it was, but on that post route right into the end zone, and he completely whiffed on that. Yeah. yeah. And he could have also thrown that to Diggs on a drag route that would have got him just a first down, yeah. you know, because it was third and 10 and he was uncovered right in front of him. But also, Chris Jones got great pressure and just pushed the offensive lineman right in. That's why he threw it 10 yards short, just because Chris Jones pushed the offensive lineman right into him and he, like, yeah. hit his own offensive lineman trying to throw it. Yeah. So here's a spicy take, not to keep going on along with conspiracy theories, but I don't know where I heard this or who said it, but apparently there has been some talk, don't know if it's true or false, that there's a potential of Sean McDermott getting kicked out and maybe throwing a Bill Belichick into there. This is a hoax. (laughs) What do you guys think on that one? Do you think that there's any chance? And if there was a chance, do you think that could actually propel the the, uh, Bills forward? I don't think there's any truth to that. Not that Sean McDermott... Well, if he was going to get fired, I feel like he would have got fired already. Yeah, but I agree with that. I also... I don't know that teams are in the business of making big decisions based off of what other teams are doing necessarily. But I feel like if I'm the if I'm the Bills, all these other teams already had their chance to interview Bill Belichick. They didn't... The Falcons didn't want him. So why would, why would the Bills want him? You know, you should do your own homework and like every fit isn't right for every every situation. But I would think I'd look at that and be like, is it really that much of an upgrade? 
every other team had their chance to decide for themselves if it was an upgrade, and they said no. The one argument I would make, though, is that they do have an established quarterback, which Bill Belichick was missing with the Patriots after Tom Brady left. True. And he's a defensive genius. He would make the defense better. And that's what you're hurting with right now is the defense. Yeah, so. you're right. I changed my mind. Yeah, That's also, <laughs> that's also why Atlanta never really made sense to me because he, he would go to a situation where he still doesn't have a quarterback yeah. as a coach. And truly, the guy's only looking for probably a two, three-year deal, and he's probably done. So it's like it seems like that could be a – Ready-made 10, 12 wins a year, add, add some defense, game over. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it would be – It'd be interesting for sure, especially going in, in in uh, division there too. Like T or the guy that's that's beat you up year after year, and then he goes and switches <laughs> switches teams, and then uh, and then goes and beats up the Patriots for a few years. It would definitely be interesting. I don't know. Play. Maybe if he's feeling salty about his exit, yeah, yeah. But I just don't know that the Bills would do it. I think Bill Belichick would do it if they came to him. The other thing is that I just don't know the Bills where they're at as far as their front office. But to switch gears slightly, is it like that's what I heard about Atlanta and why they hired Raheem Morris instead of Bill Belichick is that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, really wanted Bill Belichick and was like ready to do it. And basically his front office talked him out of it because they know that they he would take their job. Yeah. Even even if they, you're still the GM of of the Falcons with Bill Belichick, is that it's like you don't have final say. On Arthur players. Blank is still going to call up Bill Belichick, and he's going to have final say. Yeah, and so I that was kind of what I had heard is that they were ready to give him the job, and basically everybody in the front office was like, "Don't do this." Probably trying to protect their own job. On the Falcons' note, did you hear who their new D coordinator is? I did, Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake. Oh wow, I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. I just heard that tonight. Should be interesting. I think he's going to be – glad he landed on his feet. <laughs> but I think he's going to be good in uh, in uh, Atlanta. I think that's a good good spot for him. I think so. so, too. So let's jump over to the NFC Conference Championship. We got Lions and 49ers. And tough one to watch for the Lions. <laughs> you had a big lead there. What was it, 24-7 to 7 going into half? Yep. Yep. And you just completely collapsed, which – I don't know. Personally, I was kind of suspecting that could happen, especially facing a tough 49ers team. But, boy, what was your guys' take on that one? Yeah, the first half, the first half looked uh, looked really bad for the Niners. You know, it was uh, – they and was it Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for, for the Lions, was starting to get a little excited. Like, oh, man, this could be the Seahawks' future here. Just unlimited offense, 200 yards, 250 yards uh, – Per half against this Niners Niners defense, let's go, and then uh, really dried up in the second half. And some some question, I think a lot of it comes down to questionable decision making, in my mind. A lot of people have been saying. And that. Um, why don't you unpack that for us, Madge? Yeah, because so, I got I got some thoughts too on that. Yeah, I've got a couple things. Number one, which I think uh, most people are talking about, is is Dan Campbell's uh, fourth down decision making. Um. Obviously, they went. They, I thought. It, I thought it was interesting because I, Luke and I talked about this in the moment. Um, first half, end of the half, they got down to like the two yard line, fourth down, and I was, I was convinced that they were going to go for it. It kind of looked like 
like Dan Campbell wanted to. And then at the last second, called for the field goal. They kicked the field goal, go up 17. Smart decision, in my mind. I you thought know. so. Go, go get up by 17 points. Yeah, take the points where you can get them. Exactly. Take the points where you can get them. And so, I, th- I mean, this is a much larger conversation on analytics. But I just think that these coaches that completely live and die by it are insane to me. <laughs> and there's just moments in games where – you have to you have to look past what whatever the stat nerds are saying and i and i think take you know take what's in front of you and it's one of the things that i think Kalen DeBoer was actually really good at and i enjoyed watching this year cuz he was very aggressive offensively um but in certain moments he would take the points and like take the or punt it or do do whatever and i think it helped the huskies B12 and O at the end of the day. And he did a very good job of kind of reading when the analytics were the right answer and when conventional wisdom was the right answer. And so I think that Dan Campbell, Dan Campbell just kind of has lived and died by the analytics side. And like, I'm going for it. If it's under fourth and three, like it's happening. And so it's hard to, hard to fault him for that because that's kind of what he's done all season long and that's been his mentality but I think in a big game like that things are a little different and things are a little tighter and to just not account for the mistakes that can happen it's like during the regular season that window's not so tight and um or the nerves aren't quite as big it's not fourth in the game fourth in the NFC championship game and so that catch is a little bit easier, but when seasons are on the line, things get things get a little tighter, and I think that came back and bit him at the end of the end of the day. Yeah, I hear that. Although my slight counter to that is that one, you brought up Kalen DeBoer, and so I'll kind of do that too. Is that or use a similar comparison? Is that it's like the Lions have lived and died by being a like convert fourth down team. It's like, that is their identity. We're not going to, we're going to take our chances. And so why would you stop doing that? Which is why it's interesting that they kicked a field goal right before halftime. Cause yeah. it's like, you always go for this on four. Like anytime you're basically across the 50 and it's like fourth and five or less. Yeah. They're going definitely fourth and three. Like they go for it like every time. So why would you not go for it here? And then the same can be true later when they didn't kick field goals. I saw a stat today is that I was just looking at it too is uh, on my phone is that how far do you go back for a kick? Five, seven yards? Eight yards. Eight yards. So they're at they were at the twenty eight when they their first possession of the second half when they went for it on fourth and two instead of kicking a field goal. Mm-hmm. So eight yards, we'll call that a forty six yard field goal. Yeah. Badgley is like a 40% kicker on field goals 48 yards and longer. So that's 46. I think their other one was 48. And they convert on fourth and three or better at a 75% clip. So I don't know that there are any numbers. Badgley's not that good of a kicker. How many many kicks has he made at that distance? He's like 9 of 20 in his career at 48 and longer. So I guess it would have been 46, so a little closer. Makeable. But he's like 9 for 20, so 40%. In his career from 48 or longer. And the since Dan Campbell's been there, I think I think it was since he's been there, 
that the Lions are 75% conversion on fourth and three or less. Yeah. So, like, th- that tells me all the numbers I need to know. Badgley's not that good of a kicker. But it'd be one thing if it was a 35-yard field goal, like what they did before halftime, that it's like, he's definitely going to make this. Like, it's less than an extra point. So... Yeah, I, so I know they were both in the 40s for the both. The yeah, they're at the 28, and then yeah. the other one, I think they were further away. Yeah, I think they were on the 30. 30, so that would have yeah, been like a 50-yard kick. Like, yeah. yeah, I think it was a 48 and a 46 were the two. Yeah, it's like Badgley, Badgley's been in the league for a little bit. He's not that good of a kicker. Well, find one that's – there's plenty of guys out there that there's can not, kick though. it. There's not, though. That's <laughs> the thing. They can kick it? At, from 50 and in. There's guys that can kick at a higher clip. I honestly 40%. feel like there's not that many these days. That's why, like, Justin Tucker and Harrison Butker – are like kind of prime, prime commodities right now. I I like guys disagree that, with that. I'm guessing that if you look at, can the, you name five really good kickers in the NFL that are like Evan mu- McPherson, uh, Jason even Myers, Evan McPherson is from one inside of, of fifty. I'm guessing that Evan McPherson is actually one of the more like sporadic kickers. He also makes this kicks year from he had fifty. A, he, he had also makes the last two years. Year, the last yeah. two years he hasn't been that good. He can make a kick from fifty five. But honestly, I feel like his make percentage is not that much different from like forty-five to fifty-five, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Jason would, Myers, <laughs> he's not that good. Not from that distance. I would guess Jason I Myers guess is that not that in, good of a kicker from I would forty-five guess that, or longer. I would guess that in the NFL, someone stack stat check me on this. I would guess that kicks of between forty and fifty yards were made at an eighty percent clip, eighty-five percent clip this year. So if you have a guy that's making forty, some there's someone out there that's better. And I get, but regardless of of your made up stat is correct or not, <laughs> is that it doesn't change the fact that the guy that the guy that they have is not that guy. I'm saying find someone better. They're out there. Um, they're not though. I just can't find that again. Jason Myers is a great example because he is a Seattle Seahawk. Is that like how confident do you feel Jason Myers going out there for a 48 yard field goal? Confident after that 51 yards? No. But 48, I feel good. I would. We'll have to pull up Jason Myers' stats <laughs> yeah. in his career from 48 and longer, or we'll call it 50 and longer, but I don't think they're very good. All right, I'll give you the stats right here. So 2023, 40 to 49 yards. Jason Myers was 12 for 14, and then 50-plus was 4 for 8. Yeah. So I don't – the 40 to 49 means little to me because there's a big difference between 49 yards and 40. The Seahawks don't trot Jason Myers out there for that many 49. That like we go for it on fourth or punt it more often from that distance because they know that he's not that good of a kicker to make those. Like they don't trot him out there all the time. 40 yards, yeah, like that's good. Once you get over 45, like Jason Myers and a slew of other kickers. I mean, he's a rookie, but Moody for the 49ers also missed a field goal in the first half that was of similar distance. Yeah. And they used a draft pick on them, you know, but like kickers are just not that consistent these days. That's why the good ones, they don't move around. That's why Justin Tucker gets paid and he stays there because I still think that the, the percentage between 40 and 49 is high regardless of that. That's not the guy the, they have isn't though. Yeah. And so anyone criticize to yeah. get back to the original point, yeah. anyone criticizing for it is like that could be all good and well. And you can say, you guys should go get a kicker that can make field goals from that distance. You can't do that in the middle of the game. You just have to play with the guys that are on your yeah, roster. That's a, yeah, that's so a different story. You can't you can't change it. Luke, to go along with your point, Jason Myers ranked he was tied in a three way tie as the number two kicker in the NFL as far as stats. I, what does that mean? I don't buy that. 
I'm looking on ESPN right here. I don't what, know. They just what, is, what is in terms of stats? I don't know. It says what NFL, stats? NFL Field player percentage? kicking stats 2023. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not field goal percentage. Is that total points? It must be total points. That's what Which, it's Again, be. it's not a stat that I care about because teams yeah. that score touchdowns don't give their kickers. Well, the Seahawks probably do have a high-scoring kicker because they can't fucking score a touchdown. Dallas's kicker was actually solid. He was 10 for 10. 50 yards yeah, plus. Aubrey, yeah, yeah, exactly. Aubrey. He came in and he like he didn't miss a field goal until the playoffs. <laughs> Matt Gay was pretty good, eight for thirteen. Yeah, Matt Prater nine for twelve. So there's some, but your point still stands. Like, yeah, and Matt Prater, they're is, a dime a dozen. Matt Prater's forty years old. <laughs> yeah, like he's either, been in the league forever, and there's a reason way. for it. Either way, uh, I getting off to track get a, here. Yeah, to get away, get off kickers and back onto the rails here a little bit. The other thing that I think. Poor decision making wise, and I'll go away from Dan Campbell here. Is I'm going to put it on Ben Johnson uh, a little bit. I heard, or I didn't realize this in the moment, but it makes sense now. The Lions only ran the ball six or seven times in the second half of that game, which makes no sense because they were Gibbs was untouchable in the first well, half. Part of that is because Gibbs fumbled, they didn't have the ball for very long because Gibbs also fumbled it on the first carry of their second drive that's true but you you just have to go back to what you you know you can't you can't let a fumble get get away from what's working for you overall well the other thing is too is that i feel like that goes into that i'm sure they would have but it's like josh reynolds drops the ball on a wide open throw on fourth down yeah that was fourth down Oh, yeah, you're right. It was fourth down. Yeah. So it's like you drop a wide open throw. I'm sure they were going to come out and run the ball again once they get the first down and you have an easy conversion and the guy drops it. So it's like sometimes sometimes that's what dictates your your run pass yeah, balance fair. is that no, you have an easy fourth and five throw that's you throw it on the numbers to a wide open guy and he drops it. And it's like, well, there goes our we we're going to run the ball three times in a row after that. And fair. And then we pissed down our leg and didn't make the play and now the Niners have it. Fair enough. Did sometimes, you sometimes things don't allow, allow that that's to happen. Sad. That's sad. Did you guys see the quote from uh Dan Campbell after the game? Him saying this may have been our only shot. I, I, I did I saw that. I, I listened to the entire quote, which it I feel like if you just clip it like that, it's not very accurate because he's actually just telling the absolute truth of it. He's like, I've been in this league long enough. Like some people some people get this far and they'd be like, that's fine. I'll be back next year. Some guys never make it back. Yeah. This could be your only shot. Yeah, I saw him kind of getting crucified for this, and my take on it was just like – Out of context quote because he's just absolutely right. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's the NFL, man. It's tough to make it to that point. Dan Marino went to a Super Bowl early in his career, and he never went back, and he's one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played. Like I think that's all Dan Campbell's saying. Yeah, I don't know why people are so up in arms about that quote because it's, like it, it's the truth of the NFL. Only two teams go. To the to the Super Bowl, so like yeah, and on top of it, to go back to kind of like what you guys were talking about with Dan Campbell with his fourth down decision making, it's like it's what got you there, and I understand it's like yeah. at the same time, it's a different situation and a lot more on the line, but you know people there's people calling for his job, which you know again that's just that's NFL fans, yeah. but it's like you're talking about a guy that completely changed a franchise in three years, and they're already like wanting his head on a spike like. Detroit fans like, what are you guys thinking? Like, you want this guy? I feel like, to... it's not true. Detroit fans, it's always it's just the casual, just like with our Taylor Swift Chiefs talk. It's like it's the casuals that are like, 
get him yeah, out of there. It's like jumped on. That's true. Jumped on the bandwagon. But still, it's insane. It's like the guy's done an incredible job. Like he's got nothing but his flowers just handed to him. Like throughout the, the last. The funny thing about all of this is that for basically everything that we just said about it is that if he kicks the field goals and doesn't go for it and they miss him, he gets crucified because he's not going for it on fourth down when that has been their identity the entire year. You yeah. don't kick the field goals and you go for it and they don't convert, you get crucified. The only way you don't get crucified is by converting or just like yeah. making the play. Your players making the plays happen and winning the game. Nobody questions the decision making. Nobody questioned nobody questioned Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs went on third and ten with the game on the line instead of running the ball and trying to kill the clock. They he throws a forty yard bomb to MVS who has stones for hands. Yeah. But he caught it. Everyone could, loved that. Exactly, because it worked. Yeah. yeah. Like he caught it and then you can kneel it out. If he drops that ball or it's just not that good of a throw, then the Chiefs are getting cruised. Even if they win the game, they're probably getting getting blamed for not doing the conventional thing or whatever but it's like you have patty mahomes these guys made a career on it third and ten sling it yeah you think you got a guy open make the play like and that's the difference they made the play yeah i just especially the i i think especially in my mind like the the one to make it a 17 point game once again like you went down and stopped the niners from a touchdown on their first drive of the second half and then you have the opportunity to just go kick a field goal and make it 17 points again. I agree with that. That like, just like tit for tat. Exactly. Like, tit for tat. Like, and even if you, if you miss that one, like, yes, the, yes, you miss it and you don't put points on the board, just like missing it on fourth down. But I think it, it just like, I don't know. It, it feels like the, the play in my mind is just make it 17, like get back to 17 points, three, three possession game all of a sudden like Niners feel like they're climbing the mountain again. And I get the kicker doesn't have the best, uh, best average on things, but I, I was still would have kicked it. I guess is the bottom yeah. line to reiterate my original point about it is that I don't think their in-house stats support that kicking, kicking a field goal from that distance is not better odds than them just converting the first down. And then you have a chance at a closer field goal. If you don't get the next first down, or more likely you, or hopefully more likely you score a touchdown, and then you've really increased your odds. Yeah. So that's all I got to say about the Lions and and their decision making. I think anyone roasting them for their decisions is kind of yeah. out of pocket. the the, yeah. the real problem is that the guys just didn't make plays. They they had multiple drops that would have kept the chains moving. And yeah. The players didn't make the plays. It's not the decisions. It's just the execution. Well, some of it's the decisions, but. It's, I would add too. There, there was a lot of drop passes too yeah, in that they, game too. Yeah, half, that was a big part of the execution as well. That second half, receivers are dropping balls left and right, think, and that did not help I, their cause. I think either. they went up twenty four seven, and they were in the locker room like, "We're going to the Super Bowl." Yeah, yeah I think that was. And then the especially game, with then, the hype of it being well, the first time it, and everything else, and then the Niners smacked them in the mouth, and they're like, yeah. looking mm-hmm. like kind of scramble mode, it, and they also they also got a little cute in there too, like. Where they they ran a they ran a flea flicker on on a play, which was which didn't work. You had they also ran an end around for a forty two yard touchdown to Jameson Williams. Yeah, so. that that's less of a gadget at this point though. Like people are running end arounds all the time, but you ran a flea flicker. You also I loved it at the time, but I just don't know how effective it is. You had an entire series where you had Penny Sewell, their star yeah. right tackle, playing tight end. Where you're running him out on pass routes, 
Yeah, you're putting him in motion. You're putting him in motion. Joey Bosa shit can him on one of them where he's yeah. trying to play the tight end. Yeah, exactly. He, just... he tries to play the tight end, and they're driving down the field. They just got the first down, and then and then Nick Bosa, not Joey, Nick Bosa oh, shit yeah, cans him and then makes a, a tackle for a loss, and then they end up going for it on fourth down because they get negative yards on that play and miss it. So, like, you're being a little too cutesy, I think, for, for that moment. Like, just I, – I don't think Penny Sewell has – gone in motion and played tight end all season i love it because i like to see linemen doing creative things but i don't know if the nfc championship game <laughs> yeah the time you to can be, rolling you can be creative by, by pulling him <laughs> and like put keep him in his normal position and like and, and maybe or just run d- directly behind him and get positive yards you know don't put him don't put yeah, him use in decker or whatever maybe try that for one him. play and just yeah. see if it works on one attempt yeah exactly so i thought i thought that was getting a little cutesy too but all that being said, Niners Niners look like the team that's been there before, you know. They looked like the more experienced team. They didn't shy away in the sec- in the second half. They came to play, got the, you know, got the fumble. McCaffrey or actually more than McCaffrey, Debo, they caught Debo in the game. I feel like that entire first half Debo was not part of the game plan and then as soon as they <laughs> I think, I think I said that to you. Like, time to get Debo involved. They throw it to him on the throw first play. Pass on the on first, the, yeah, yeah, screen pass, and then their DB bounces off his leg, and he takes it twenty-five yards and and bashes through somebody. And it's like, okay, this uh, this might be a different half of football here. And that and that really is. I think he must have been still feeling a little hurt, and maybe halftime goes in, gets a shot, and they're like, Debo, there's no time to be hurt here. Yeah, because I mean, I'd said that going into the Packers game. And stand by it that I was like I don't want to make you know I was kind of joking I was like I don't want to make my Super Bowl pick now because if somebody like Debo gets hurt I like the Lions a lot more yep. it's just the truth is that like Debo Debo is in my mind the most important player on that offense they have other guys that can like hard to say that Christian McCaffrey isn't or even Brock Purdy but it's like they can put somebody else in at running back like Debo and they could be effective there's nobody else maybe in the NFL, that can do what Debo does. Yeah. As soon as you take him off the field, everybody becomes less dangerous. Yeah. In fact, in the first half, I don't know if it was just because of injury or because of the way their game plan was shaken out, not as involved. They made it a point to get him the ball in the second half, and all of a sudden they're just moving up and down. Yeah. And Throwing an Ayuk uh, miracle catch. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that kind of had some – some uh, team of destiny vibes going on. That's what there. I was saying. It's like Seahawks stuff. There's just yeah. like I'd be worried if I'm the Lions because everything yeah. is going their way. Yes, yeah, that Jawan Jennings. Remember, Brock Purdy throws it back across his body, and Jawan Jennings spears it one handed, like yeah. a four yard catch on yeah. third down. Yeah, but keeps just the chains like, moving. All these crazy plays start happening, and it's just like watch once out. the snowball starts rolling. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for the Lions though. Yeah, really wanted to see him win. Would have been a good story for sure. All right, well, we'll go ahead and break down the Super Bowl and our predictions and kind of get the, the game film on that. But we're going to take a quick commercial break brought to you by Nigel R. Uh, HR Solutions, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Nigel, it's not often I get a freak like you plopped into my lap. Tell me about HR or your uh, Nigel R. HR Solutions. <laughs> I'm a roast. Base me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, Nigel, our HR solutions is a, uh, HR con- consulting firm, um, where we 
uh, find your employer issues and uh, take care of them. Um, well, I'm sold. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you weren't ready to spend money on that, I don't know who who uh, who you are. Are you open you to talking about are? your rates on a live radio, or is that more of something that you break down? Do you give a quote when you hear about each individual? Yeah, it's a more on a case by case basis for sure. Yeah. I'm losing my uh, headset here. All right. So, as promised, we're going to go ahead and go with listener questions. So, the first one we're going to throw out is from... Drumroll. It's from Maddie. From Maddie. Hey, Lunch Pail. This is Mitt Roderick calling from the Bellevue of South Seattle, also known as Burian. I have a question for the panel. According to a recent report from Apex Marketing Group, the presence of Taylor Swift has led to a combined increase in brand value for both the NFL and Kansas City Chiefs organizations of more than $330 million. How much, if any, do you think that this has impacted the lopsided officiating we've been seeing in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs in recent weeks? Thanks, boys. <laughs> well, I think we did touch on that yeah. a little bit earlier, so it's good to know that Matt is plugged into uh, the hot topics of the podcast. <laughs> Mitt Rodney? Was that... <laughs> Mitt Roderick? I had my headphones off yeah, in the okay. beginning, but I Mitt assume Roderick. it was uh, Mitt Roderick. It was Mitt Roderick. He's well known in these parts. Yeah, the Bellevue of or the Bellevue of He's South kind of Seattle. the Mitt Romney of the bad boy golf course community. Got it. I mean, I think it has everything to do with why uh, the officiating's been overplayed. She's a psyop. I already talked about this. Um, and it, do you think it's a coincidence? We didn't really we didn't talk about this part. Uh, do you think it's a coincidence that the referee that had the uh, what, what did he have the highest highest he had, he had uh, the penalty wor- rate against had, home teams? I don't think it was the highest penalty rate. It's just the home team had out of all the officiating crews, this crew. The home team had the worst record, which okay. obviously when you're at home, you usually have a home field advantage. Yeah. So home teams win more often. I think but it was like they only won 38% of the games. Yeah, it was somewhere around 40%, I yeah. think, was the win percentage. Yeah. Um, here's here's what I'll say about that is that uh, I don't know that Taylor Swift has any impact on that because the Chiefs, like we said before, with Patty Mahomes as a starter, have been to the AFC Championship game six straight years, and this is their fourth Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know about that. The officiating didn't start with Taylor Swift. They've been getting there long before Taylor Swift, and whether that's because the referees are in their pockets or not, you know, I'll leave that up to other people to bitch about. But this isn't the first. Do you remember the Super Bowl last year when Juju Smith-Schuster got a phantom PI call that won them the game? Like. Yeah. Right. Against yeah. the Eagles, like it, this has been happening before Taylor Swift. So I don't think. But how do we to not... answer Mitt's question? I don't think that Taylor Swift is making a bump towards them getting calls. They've always been getting calls. Let's put some tinfoil hats on for a second, though. How do we not know <laughs> that the NFL hasn't been planning this for years? How do we not know that they haven't been collaborating with Taylor Swift for years? The entire time that the Chiefs have been the franchise to beat. This, this could be part of the bigger plan. This honestly all started when Jay-Z took over as the uh, halftime show mm. coordinator of the Super Bowl. Um, so it's long been in in the books here that uh, that they were going to get Taylor Swift once she became of age uh, to, to be in love with one of the stars of the NFL, Mr. Travis Kelsey. What do you think Tucker has to say about that? Now, we don't know this, but we won't apologize for being wrong. There you have it. That's it. That's it. Do we have another caller? Oh, next caller, please. Next caller. Good question, Mitt. Keep him coming. 
What's uh, up, fellas? Big ups to Puke for those game on picks to keep the lights on in the studio for another week. Anyway, head to the casino this Friday for my weekly donation and need some advice on, on some prop bets. Give me your picks on the over-under on the following. Over-under, 10.5 times Taylor Swift shows up on the broadcast. Under. Over-under, 12.5 beers Jason Kelsey has before halftime. Over. Over-under, 7.5 drop passes for Kadarius Tony. If, if he, he plays. plays. If he plays. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Language alert. Shavers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Canarius will still be under drop passes because I don't think he'll get that many targets. So was that 10.5 Taylor Swift views, 12.5 beers for Kelsey, and uh, how many drops? I thought he said 7.5, which that's more like a target number. Yeah. I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll take the under on Canarius Tony drops if he's even in the game, like you said. Um, do do the twelve and a half beers? Is that a uh, does that does pregame count or is that once kickoff starts? I think it's once kickoff starts. So oh, that's a little tougher than yeah. Twelve and a half. For I'm still calling the over. If I heard if I heard Jason Kelsey correctly, I thought he said he had twelve beers in the parking lot before the Bills game. That doesn't mean he didn't have twelve beers. One of us during the first half. Right. Either. I'm just thinking that that's going to slow down his rate a little bit. That he might have twelve. Have pre-game you ever slowed tw- down after you've had twelve beers to start the day? I think they just get game. faster. So many amendments in the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, I believe the fifth. Uh, I feel like they get easier and easier once you hit that 12 mark. Yeah, exactly. Once you hit 12, then the next 12 go down about half as, yeah, half they, as quick. You piss them out basically as, as quickly as they come in at yeah, that point. Exactly. So you're just um, trading beers. I'm going to take the under on the 12 and a half beers if it's from kickoff to halftime. Um, if it's the day, then I'll take – I'll take the over for sure. Okay. So I'm taking over some, regardless. We need some clarification. Yeah, I got over on the beers, but we, we need some clarification from Vegas on that. Um, and Taylor Swift sightings. I'm going to take under on 10 and a half uh, myself. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think I'll take the under. Although if they win, it's, it's going to be close. I would think, I would think just like uh, similar to the Jason Kelsey one. That's got to be ten and a half from kickoff to zeros on the clock. After the game, that doesn't count. We don't think broad the entire Super Bowl broadcast, for, like including trophy ceremony, because it, well, I guess then if that? it's if it's the assuming they win, because that obviously is a big determining factor, is that if they yeah. win and then she's down on the field, yeah, she'll but get ten in the post game alone. Even if it's from kickoff to zeros, though. Think about it. In those last two minutes, let's say it's like the Chiefs are up. They're in victory formation. They're going to bounce back and forth to Taylor like three or four times there alone, like hugging they everyone. Really done that so far though. Yeah, but it's going to be she's going to be hugging the mom. Her and Brittany are going to have their. But moment. it's the Super Bowl and it's in Vegas. She's not the only star that's going to be there. I think you got to take that into consideration. Is that we'll find I was going to say on the flip true. side too, if my theory is correct, is that also if they're losing, it's the other way around, and the 49ers in victory victory formation. Does anyone else even? You're going to see her sad, and she's going to be upset, and she's going to be like boohooey. Does anyone else even count as a star when t- the icon Taylor Swift no, is in the building? Absolutely not. Exactly. Next oh, question. Maybe if Fred Durst is there. All right, we've got. <laughs> Next <laughs> question. If Fred Durst is there, uh, we have one more here from. Uh, from our friend of the show, Evan. Hey, boys, it's Evan. 
biggest fan here. Um, just calling curious, what do you guys think will be more uh, important for this Super Bowl game that's coming up? Do you guys think it's going to be McCaffrey's just seemingly unstoppable, consistent production, or do you think it is going to be the uh, the unpredictable plays that Patrick Mahomes can kind of pull out of a hat? Curious to see what you guys think, and yeah, see ya. Wait, that was not a Taylor Swift question. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to know about things that are happening on the field. That's not really our. That's not really our game. Next I'm question. I'm not an X's and O's guy. I'm more of a, I don't know, beers and Taylor I, Swift guy. I will. Uh, I will say that it's going to. I'm. I'm going to add slightly to that, and that this game will hinge on. Uh, McCaffrey's production and Debo's production um, and Purdy's ability to get, get the ball to – we'll just say Purdy's ability to get the ball to all of his stars. I think Travis Mahomes – or Tra- Travis, <laughs> Travis Mahomes. Travis Mahomes, you heard it here first. <laughs> Travis Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is going to do his thing regardless. Um, it's going to be whether or not um, Purdy can get the ball in his guy's hands to make plays. Yeah, I'm I'm a little torn. If I'm actually answering the question, because he didn't say Debo, so that's a nice cop-out by you to say yeah. Purdy and Debo. I mean, this Chiefs defense is really good, so I won't be surprised if they bottle him up a little bit. I'm more, I think it, on the McCaffrey front, I'd be more interested to see what he does as a receiver in the game, because that's always a, that's a mismatch against anybody. Yeah. maybe I wonder if they would put McDuffie on him, all pro. Husky, nickel corner, if they bring him in. That's a preview for next week's episode, by the way. Yeah, or uh, Watson, you know, the guy, the Cougar that's on there. Yeah. He plays a bit of corner, nickel, safety kind of. I mean, just to counter that that exact point, I think uh, Niners defense also has guys that match up well with their players, like Kelsey, and you have... Yeah, that's why I was Fred gonna, Warner. That's Greenlaw. why. Right. That's like, why I was gonna. Yeah. That's why I was gonna say. It. Yeah. I was leading up to. I would say Patty Mahomes because Lions did kind of torch that defense in the first half, but then they settled down and looked really good. Is that I imagine that Patty Mahomes is gonna have to cook up some magic here because guys aren't outside of Travis Kelsey. He doesn't have a lot of weapons, yeah. at least out wide. So he's gonna have to manufacture some plays and hope that things break down and then that's where you're going to see opening. So I would go Patty Mahomes because I think the defense is going to have a game plan for McCaffrey. He'll still get his. Like you kind of said, I'd be more concerned about what Debo can do, how consistent Purdy is. I know Christian McCaffrey is a threat. Yeah. So I think it's going to be more about Patty Mahomes getting those off-schedule plays and converting them because I think guys are going to be in – guys are going to be locked up. Yeah. I think that uh, if we're just going to say between those two – if I had to bet, it's that Patty Mahomes is going to be the one that outshines. If McCaffrey manages to outshine him with his play, has 150 yards, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. They win by 10. A 70-yard tutty in there that's like a – then, yeah, they win by 10. But I just think that's going to be – Chiefs defense is good, though. I yeah, think that's going to be hard to come I'd by. be more worried, like you said, about Christian McCaffrey catching the ball than yeah, running. But agreed. We'll do, more, we'll do more Super Bowl-specific – Matchup stuff next week, but yep. good, good question, Evan. Keep them coming. Next question. I think that's all we that, have. That's all we got. What? Mm. All right. 
everyone that's listening next week make sure we'll get it out a little bit more advanced but get your questions in it's a fun segment we want to let's get a dozen questions honestly honestly a little pro tip for our listeners out there yeah nigel doesn't pick up his phone ever yeah you can call me anytime call him whenever and leave a voicemail and like we can always come back to it yeah he had 11 voicemails in his phone that he had to delete to be able to have space to take these all from one person which is the crazy part (laughs) yeah yeah that's weird oh all right, what do you guys want to talk about? You want to talk about baseball? Yeah, let's talk about some baseball. No, let's talk about baseball. Let's talk about some baseball. Mariners had a day today, right? They had a big day. Looks <laughs> like we had a new second baseman. Who is it there, Nigel? Who do we got? Um, We have <laughs> Jorge Polanco. Yeah, George oh, Polanco. I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, <thank> you. <laughs> uh, it's all happening fast. So. Yeah, I, uh, I'll lead off by saying that uh, I wouldn't call this a big move by any stretch of the imagination. Um. I think he's a. I think he's a guy. <laughs> he's a jag. Wow. Um, okay. okay. My early, there we go. I, was yeah. I think he's a guy. Is like he's a, I think yeah, so. It is a just, male sport. He, yeah, he's he's a jag, just a guy. Um, in the past, he's had a couple of good seasons. Um, he really hasn't. Yeah, he's had a good season. What 2019, 2020, Somewhere in there. Yeah, he had like a two. When I looked earlier, he had like a two ninety five season. Yeah, but. I think he's a – I don't know much about his defensive abilities. I would imagine that uh, regardless of what they are currently, they'll be better because um, – what's it, Rich Hill or whatever, our infield yeah. coach. Has, yeah, I'm not worried about has done, defense. Has done wonders with, with everyone defensively, so I'm sure he'll be fine on that front. But I think he's a, at best, we'll say top 20 second baseman in the league. Maybe 15 if you want to get real in the weeds with it. Um, so I don't think this is anything that that really changes much other than we are taking on some contract money for a professional second baseman instead of a, uh, a caballero type that's never played in the major leagues. That's my, but my early take. Is this the biggest signing at second base the Mariners have done since Robinson Cano? Would you put Adam Frazier above him? I'd probably put Frazier above him. I think Frazier hit better than him career, not by much. I think Polanco's a little young because he's 30. I feel like when we got Frazier, Frazier was 32, so not much younger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe a, maybe a smidge younger. You have one – you have this year and one team option year after this season, so if you really want to keep him, you can keep him for one more year after that. And then – Hopefully you've got some young guys that are kind of coming up the pipeline after that. But I just uh, – It really just feels like a vintage Mariners type of signing that it's like he's had some good years. I mean, we talked about this off the pod right when we saw it, is that last year he played 80 games and had 14 bombs. So if you say that he plays the whole year, he has 25 bombs – Although when I was looking, is it? I think he he's been in the league now for ten years. You know, his first year obviously is like his rookie year. He only had less than ten games, I think. Yeah. So we'll say more like nine years, but I think he only has three seasons of over a hundred games played. Yeah. So even in his nine-year career, he's not he hasn't even been that consistent. He's had some good years. Just feels like vintage Mariners. Like you're hoping that he's going to come here and be the best version of himself. But realistically, he'll probably be the worst version of himself, which means he's a 240 hitter that probably has 15 bombs and plays an improved defensive second base because of Rich Hill. 
Yeah. That's uh That's his name, right? Rich Hill. Yeah, I think that's his name. Um I mean that's that's pretty much where where I have it at too. That's the Everyone seems really excited about it and it's yeah, like Yeah, can I give some context for the yeah, excitement? I would love to. All right. I'd love to, I'd love for you to do that. This is from Justin uh, Hollander. Okay. From the beginning of this offseason, Jorge's was someone we identified as a perfect fit for our roster. As a switch hitter with a long track record of success, he's also renowned his around the league for his work ethic and leadership skills. We're thrilled at this opportunity to add such an impactful presence to both our lineup and clubhouse. It continues. Uh, on a media call, he personally made more calls on Polanco, on the Polanco deal than any other trade. He had been trying to acquire him for two years. Do we have the future Hall of Famer Polanco here at Seattle not. Mariners? Absolutely not. That's, I mean, Justin Hollander is like the assistant GM, correct? So he is the GM. <laughs> okay, so he's his like, official title is the GM, but okay, he's so, kind of like yeah, the, he got uh, promoted because Jerry's cause president, Jerry's of, baseball president opera, of baseball, but he's basically the GM. Yeah, he's basically the assistant GM because Jerry's the real GM. Uh, so he's paid to uh, hype this hype this thing up, and um, I, I've I've seen I've seen his name tied to us for quite some time because when he was out. This last this last season, half the year, their the Twins' backup second baseman actually played really well, and so they're like, "Why would we pay this guy ten million dollars next year when we have a guy that's basically free, um, that is better than him?" So I think people, because we don't have a second baseman, everyone's tied him to us for the entire offseason, pretty much. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that we ended up with him. Um, I'm just not really that excited about it either. The one thing I would say with last season, obviously, it was only 80 games. But it is still a jump for the Mariners at second base because, I mean, the Mariners' second baseman last year produced a line of 205, 294, and 313, and that came out to a 607 OPS. And, I mean, with his numbers, we're looking at a 255 hitter, 335 on base percentage, and 454 for slugging. So that's 789 for the OPS. It's not – Bad numbers. That's still a, a no. That's Although, better than Dylan Moore trotting out there at second base. True. Yeah. It's just in my mind. Who else would you put at second right now if you had your choice? Well, well, there's just no good options. Yeah. So then this better than what we had option is still right. an upgrade compared to what's out there that's available right now for the Mariners. Right. Yeah. I I I think he's a. I think he's a serviceable major league middle infielder. But, like, I don't want to get excited about that because that doesn't, like, that's fine. And the Mariners need a player because we've, we let the third baseman walk that basically has a similar stat line and was a clubhouse guy and probably had just as many home runs and a similar batting average. And we traded him away. So you need another type of guy like that. We got one. That's great. Um, but I'm not, I'm not ready to write home about it yet. Yeah, it's so. just also this is just the pessimistic Mariners fan in me coming out, but it's like he's a two sixty nine career hitter. We'll say that that's what he hits. Take thirty points off that the second he puts a Mariners jersey on. <laughs> yeah. So like, you're right. He's better that at two thirty nine. He's better than a two oh five hitter. It's just it's not moving the needle for me. And and obviously he has a chance to prove that he's not that player and he can go out and hit uh gene segura is probably i guess he played shortstop short for us i guess he played short i was gonna say he 
he was right there around the same time as Robbie, but I guess he played short. Also, you're not putting into account, Luke, that uh, uh, his off-the-field contributions add 30 points to his batting average. So he'll get back to his 269 batting average. Exactly. He'll yep. lose 30 points by being a Mariner, but gain 30 points by being Julio's friend in the in the dugout. That's exactly it, yeah. Honestly, if he if he adds that, uh, that Santana vibe to Julio, like if he's the buddy and, like, and uh, I guess uh, mentor to Julio that he adds 30 points to Julio's batting average and he bats 230, then I'll take it all day. (laughs) Then I'll say it's a good trade. But until I see that uh, right now, it's a, uh, a money dump from the twins that we're taking on to get a serviceable out or infielder. Uh, All this to say though, is that, uh, I'm rooting for the guy, and I have a feeling that he will be a fan favorite, and I'm sure I'll be very excited that he's on the team because he'll be a good personality and be a good clubhouse guy that gets everyone rallying around him. So I'll be cheering his name, but if you're asking me today if like if this signing moves the needle for me, it's just like, no, you just got another guy that could be pretty good or he could be league average or he could be Colton Wong yeah to add one more piece of positivity because I'm trying to play that role right now 2019 was a long time ago but during that time he did receive votes for the American League MVP race that year so kind of cool I mean maybe you see something that comes out from 2019 some vintage vintage 2019 are we talking about Jesse Winker or Jorge Polanco because I heard similar things (laughs) true (laughs) so I guess sorry sorry to be a Debbie Downer but yeah, but Jesse Winker led the greatest fight in Mariners history, so that was That's cool. true. He did turn the season That's around. true, and he did start the comeback. So yeah. You got to give credit where credit's One due. One sick right hook at a time. Yeah. You guys, how'd you guys feel about Justin Topa being shipped off in that trade? Um, I I liked Topa last year. I thought he had a pretty good season, but they – I'm not worried about Mariners' bullpen arms. Yeah. So the same thing. We, just, we find ways to make – nobody's for the Mariners. Those guys are a dime a dozen. Yeah, exactly. For as much shit. I'm talking about Jorge Polanco and that signing. If they can find a bat that can hit 250 or better, that's a job well done by them. Given their track record, Yeah, finding a guy that you can throw in the bullpen who'll end up being pretty good. They do that multiple times a year, every year. So yeah, Topa is the guy that has to get you a 250 bat. Then yeah, so be it. I salute your service to the squad. Yeah, absolutely. So tough to see him go, but I, all these guys, I feel like their best years are with the Mariners. Yeah. So I was just, when they leave, it's like, we probably got the best out of them. Yeah. Agreed. Not always the case, but. So would you guys say with everyone, the Mariners have acquired this off season, the word, the one word to describe them would be serviceable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Which is great. Yeah. Serviceable. Like our manager. <laughs> yeah. So with That's that said, if you have enough of those guys, and your bullpen's great, your starting rotation's great, and Julio can come out there and have a MVP caliber year. Do the Mariners have a chance at the playoffs? Do they have a chance at the division? I, it, I if, you throw, if you throw enough mediocre guys all together, and then they can just have a – they can pull one out, and then you have someone, a young star, that can come clutch in the right times. Is that enough to potentially – Make it to the postseason. I think so, but the it it just leaves you 
such narrow margins, you know. And yeah, Julio can't miss time. Yeah. It just, Ty France and, can't miss time. Yeah, you just you can't and he will. you have to hit on every single guy and or else it's not gonna not gonna work. And so when you're still twenty three year old superstar, twenty two year old superstar has a bad month in the season, that kills you. And that's the difference between Yeah, when he's trying to press too hard because his teammates because, suck. Yeah, because he's the only guy that can generate offense, then that's going to kill your entire season when you end up losing by one game and you have no one else that can kind of take that burden. Uh, so I, I hope that it's enough. Obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of the team and I want to see them do well. Um, but I'm just so far uninspired. So I guess so. my next question with that though, you mentioned some names there. So like Cal, Ty France, JP Crawford, Hanager, if he can stay healthy, the nuke. <laughs> the nuke. Are those guys going to be enough to help Julio in those times where maybe he hits that slump that's going to happen? Is he enough if he misses time? Is he is Well, I already assume that Hanniger will probably miss at least a third of the season, if not half, because he's only shown that every single year. So there's your there's your first notch in the uh in the you're too thin to have any anything go wrong. And then outside of that, Cal Raleigh is a catcher still. And so I just having to temper your expectations, having to rely on a catcher, a catcher being your best offensive threat traditionally hasn't been a very good move in major league baseball. I I can't think of too many examples of uh, Joe Maurer. Yeah. Who's going into the baseball hall of fame. And maybe, maybe dumper is a future hall of famer, but over the course of time, it's pretty tough to rely on an offensive catcher to uh, be be your great hope. JP is another guy that's like he had a really nice year last year. I love seeing it, but it's also a guy that, in, in my opinion, traditionally looks best in your nine hole. So he he's had some spurts where he looks good in the one hole. This, this he ran this with it this year, last year. This but. last year, but like up until so one year of one year of data, not usually what you want to go off of in baseball. So if he continues down the path he had, sure, maybe maybe that's something. But there's just a lot of a lot of narrow margins right now with this Mar- Mariners team. It seems like, and so, and you already know <laughs> that a few like a few of those things aren't going to come true just because it's the nature of baseball. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just worried, I guess. Going back to your original point, can they win the division or go to the playoffs? Uh, it seems unlikely they'll win the division, but as far as the playoffs go, I'd say generally speaking, like you got to think you have a chance because of your pitching. Like you should always have a chance that you can yeah. be a 89. Cause I mean, again, not to go too far back into how the last season went, but it's like you won 89 games wasn't enough to get in the playoffs. That's not the case every year. I mean, the Diamondbacks won 89 games and they went to the playoffs and they went to the World Series. Yeah. So it's always circum circumstance there. But you got to think with your pitching, you always have a chance. It just seems like they're similar to when they went to the playoffs just a couple of years ago is that on paper, their offense isn't good enough to go to the playoffs. You're relying on, similar to the year that they did go, is like, the clubhouse rallying around each other 
and it's not like it's not like you have these guys that are blowing the cover off the baseball. It's just you have that rhythm that it's like Julio's in a slump, Ty France is on fire. Ty France is in a slump, Cal Raleigh's hitting well. Julio's having a good time. Maybe Polanco has some time, but it's not like some consistent lineup. At the end of the day, they all hit 250, 260, but for two weeks, Cal Raleigh's hitting 300 and hits five dingers or whatever, you know? So it's hard to look at it and be like, yeah, they'll be fine. They got the bats in there. You, you just have to really rely on some sort of like inner belief and cohesion that they'll find a way to like get the most out of themselves, you know, that sum is or the whole is greater than the sum of their parts type thing, whatever. <laughs> whole is greater than the sum of their parts. That's that's what you want to rely on always, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh one plus one equals five with this team. I don't know. I'm kind of I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if I'm just feeling positive today, but I'm kind of wondering if this Mariners team is just a group of misfits that's just somehow going to find a way through chaos. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is like, but that's what you have to rely on. Which... It's, like, it's like, look at some of the teams. Like, look at the New York Yankees. How every year they come out with like a stellar team and a stellar offense, and they look like they're the team to beat, and it always collapses. It's a lot of times it's the teams that like you weren't necessarily expecting. I mean, think of the Washington Nationals when they won the World Series. Name me a couple players from that team. I mean, there's a few stars Juan on there. Soto. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper wasn't on that team. Was he not? That on was that the team year anymore? that he left. Oh, to that's go to right. The Phillies. Uh, Steven Strasburg. <laughs> like that was the last, like the last year. Yeah. Basically, he played. Mac, the point is Mac Scherzer. Those teams. That's the point, though, is that they had a solid starting rotation. Yeah, they had pitching. Yeah, they, they had, had pitching. Yeah, and then they had what's his nuts at third base. That's now with the Angels. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, uh, Rendon. Yeah, and he came off of that was a really good season for him. So they had a few studs. But it still wasn't the team that you were expecting to come out to beat the Dodgers that season. Yeah. To sure. make themselves to go into the World Series and then beat the Astros. I don't know. I think this Mariners team could be a little feisty. Sometimes you throw a group of misfits together. Maybe they have a little bit more depth now with some of the signings they've been doing that kind of keep them in the race. Is this why Jerry said that they're going for 54%? Is because he wanted to light a fire under their ass to say that you guys are a bunch of misfits and nobody believes in you, myself included? <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Stay tuned. It could work yeah. until the, until uh, until they ship off all the guys that were uh, pissed off that he said it. Um, speaking of which, you've been seeing Kelnick getting uh, feisty. Yeah. No. What's going on there? Uh, not a, not a whole lot. I feel like did did we not talk about this already before? But he went on the podcast for one, which maybe we didn't talk about this. The, our podcast? No, not on our podcast. He went huh. on the, uh, what was it called? Like, um, outside the li- It's not outside the lines. It's something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You were talking about this. Maybe yeah. I was talking about it to you guys off air, though. Um, just talking about how in the, in the locker room when Jerry DePoto was talking about the 54% thing, and, and I think more in particular because that was after the season, the 54% thing. Um, but during the season, I, he went on one of the radio shows, and I think it was on 710, and said that 
they they wouldn't even take prime Babe Ruth right now or something like that. And it just like apparently it pissed off the locker room that he said it because it's yeah. just a the thing I saw is that I think he's at a, another press conference or whatever. And honestly, I just saw a bunch of Mariners fans getting pissy about it, which I didn't see the full quote, but I don't. I assume he's not wrong, but I think someone like, uh, are you excited to play at the Braves ballpark or whatever? How mm-hmm. do you think it'll uh, like affect your hitting or whatever? And he's like, well, it's better than Seattle's ballpark or whatever. Yeah. And people get pissy, which it's like, they probably have a shorter wall in right field. They probably have a short porch there that will which, help. Well, I, I saw too that I don't think they do actually have a shorter porch because oh. that, they don't have the marine layer <laughs> because they built that. They built Safeco for Griffey, but like they built it shorter down right field line for for Griffey's sake, I think originally. Yeah. But um, I saw, I heard more of that interview, and I think it's just one much like anything that happens, it's just taken out of context because he's like, I, I think he says something like, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but he he says something like. Hopefully it's easier to hit at for me than at in Seattle. <laughs> so yeah. it, you know, it's like that's the sentiment that he's going for, not not saying like, oh yeah, Seattle sucks and Safeco Field sucks. That's why. Yeah, that's how everybody there. took it. Though, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But... It's like he didn't say that at all. He's like, he says something to the tune of like, it's difficult to hit to hit there, and like, so I'm hoping I'll hit better here because I think they asked him like, are you gonna, you know. Are you going to be able to hit better? He's like, oh yeah, definitely. You know, better than like Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Kelnick, my boy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss him this year. That's for sure. I know you guys hate this question, like this early. We haven't even started spring training, but let me ask you this: Can I get a breakout candidate for the Mariners this year? Who do you think is going to be the breakout candidate for this 2024 season? Yeah, I don't know. I Who's going to shock the world? Mitch Garver, three thirty average. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I I've got I've got the what, what counts as what counts as shocking the world? Because I'd <laughs> I'd say Bryce Miller, like because I mean he's obviously we all know about him, but I don't know. I've been seeing some videos on Twitter and stuff of him working on his split his like or his splitter, which again it's like all these Mariners pitchers all of a sudden. Or like just be like by the way I'm gonna develop a splitter here like that and it's like then it instantly becomes one of their best pitches yeah and he's working on that and like it sounds like it's fire it's like similar to Kirby that it's like Bryce Miller we all we all know about him but nobody nobody that lives on the East Coast knows about Bryce Miller but it's like that would be my breakout candidate is that all of a sudden much like Kirby was this last year is it like you get to July and he's a top five Cy Young type guy yeah so. I don't know if that qualifies because we all know him really well, but I would throw him in that stratosphere of like, I wouldn't be shocked if Bryce Miller comes out and is legitimately a Cy Young candidate in post All Star break. I hope that's true. I hope. I hope I can't pick a bat to be a, <laughs> a breakout I, I got, guy. I got a, I got two here, but I'll comment on that real quick. It's just that I'm hoping that that guy like Bryce Miller doesn't have a Matt Brash type of year this year. And kind of take a step back. I'm hoping that Matt Brash doesn't have a Matt Brash type of year last year, also, yeah. and that you know it's it's hard to expect these these young guys, the rookies, to like come out and have a guy like Bryce Miller. He was fantastic last season, and so 
it's hard to replicate that with in this day and age when everyone's watching tape and like in you know they're all out there trying to get better and figure out how you how you, how you succeeded against them so i think he's a good candidate i've i've got a couple others though one i'll pick one bat because uh i i just think he's he's my guy and i gotta i gotta go with him and that's ty france everyone knows who he is obviously i think he's gonna have a big season though he's on a contract he's in the year. cage he's in or whatever and, drive yeah. line and he's at drive line and it's a contract year so I think he's I think he's gonna have a huge season. I said that last year too, and I was very wrong, clearly, and I'll be the first to admit that, but I think he's gonna be having a big year. And other name that I'm gonna throw out there, which guy we talked about last year coming into the season too, but I think with this uh bullpen opening, probably a better chance that he's gonna be out there is uh Prelander Baroa. Mm. I think I think that uh, he had a good he had a good year in the minors last year too. I I mean, he seemed like a guy that could have easily made the major league team, but we just had so many. He'll probably so have many a better studs. shot now too with moving Topa. Like exactly, you, mo- so you moved a few guys from your bullpen. Moving Topa, I think that uh, I think that you might you might see him this year, and he could be a guy that no one's really heard of, and and goes out there, and they'll probably give him the those kind of cushy closing or especially early in cushy the year. relieving opportunities, kind of like they did with Topa, honestly, last year for quite a bit because he's not he's not going to be the the high leverage guy right off the bat and um so i could see him like you know we're going to get you get to halfway through the season or something and he's going to be at a sub two era and you you know he had one bad outing where he gives up three runs and outside of that he's throwing 99 mile an hour gas and and striking guys out left and right because he's coming in the the lower leverage situation so uh that'd be another one just early on here that i'd keep an eye out for who do you have tan um i i want to believe in this but i have no evidence to back it up i heard shannon dreyer talking about she thinks uh calzone is going to be the breakout candidate and i have and that's the only reason why I, I like that pick like i was big on him last year one of the we might have been the only podcast or at least part of the part of the podcast that a lot of people didn't like the Seawald trade, but I liked it. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw good things out of him last year, and I'm just hoping he can build off of that and just be one of those surprising candidates. Again, I don't have much to support it right now in this moment, but it's what inspired the question for me was her talking about that. And, man, if that happens for the Mariners, that's huge because that really helps. I mean, honestly, I don't – As it stands, he's the starter, right? Like, we have no one else. Well, you have, you have Hanny and – and J-Rod. Nuke, I don't think Nuke's the starter. I think Nuke's a. I mean, I would maybe have, or maybe his platoon with Canzone. Is Nuke a righty? I think he's a lefty, but we'd have to double check. He's a, he's a switch. Oh, he's a switch hitter. That's he's a right. switch. So he he hit bombs any but which direction. But what's his but what's his actual side? My, um, I don't know. I'm looking at the. MLB.com. Like Cal's a switch, but he's a better lefty than he is a righty. MLB.com depth chart has him as as uh, last on our depth chart behind Swaggerty, which I don't know that that's true or not, but still, I I think that I think that's a good pick. Like I like Dom, and honestly, I I don't. When you say that, like, there's not a lot to go off. I don't know that that's completely true because like. All I had heard, I think he played at Ohio State, 
big time high school recruit, I think, out of Ohio. Went to Ohio State, hit 400 like every year there. Not a huge pick because it's not like he has crazy size or anything like that. But the guy, all he's ever done is hit well. And what did he hit last year? 235, 240 in half a season? Like, I don't think that's really that bad for a guy making his first, we'll say it wasn't a full season, but, you know, getting his first real crack at the major leagues. Like, I think that's pretty good. The guy has been a hitter at every level, and he was, you know, clutch isn't really a stat, I guess, but he was pretty clutch last year. Like, I feel like he had big big moments. So to rope that into what I was saying about expectations, that it's like you kind of just need a clubhouse where guys rally around each other, is that I do think he fits that mold at the very least. Like, you don't need to be a 300 hitter. That'd be great if you could be. But you can be a 250 hitter that hits 300 for a month when we need a bat. When yeah. Ty France gets hit in the hand for the 15th time in the season and misses two weeks, go in there and go hit 300 and five bombs, you know, and like provide a spark and then fall back into the type of player you are. You Don't know. worry, Luke, the new Grayley, I think, can step in at first base too. So <laughs> He can. He can do that. Yeah. My other one, my other one that I would say is that. I still feel like he's a ways off, but based off of our off season, I'm curious if uh, Harry Ford will find his way into this lineup at some point. Yeah. Because I feel like what I've seen is that he's projected for next year, but he'll be at spring training this year. I think he'll be with the, he'll be playing with the club. Yeah, I would guess so. He's probably on the 40 man. Yeah. So... Maybe uh, yeah. is it Cole Young is our other middle infielder that's a pretty big time prospect that's we drafted with our first overall or our first round pick two years ago, I think the year after Harry Ford because Harry Ford's probably three years in, and Cole Young is probably a year behind him. Tough for younger guys to really crack the major league roster, especially when you have a bunch of guys like Swaggerty and Demo that are similar and have more experience, but I'd, I'd love to see the Mariners. If you're, if you're not going to go out and make signings, like I would like to see you give some chances to some younger guys just to see what you got. Yeah. And Ford is, you know, he at least played at the world baseball classic and held his own against, against the big dogs, against big dogs. So, and he's raked in our minor league system. Yeah. One more thing I want to add to Calzone. Now that I have a few numbers sitting in front of me, Something that's kind of exciting too is that the guy is 26, so he's kind of hitting that age now, yeah. where guys start to find yeah, their, kind of pop. their, yeah, hit their stride. But I mean, even in the minors, like he started out in 2019 in the minors, first season. I'm just going to go averages here. I'm not going to break everything down, but first season, 281. Then next season, 2021, he was 375. Then we went to 367, 431, 377 as his total like minor league career. That's good number. That's what I'm saying. He's hit it. Like I said, I he's think hit at, everywhere he's been at Ohio State. Year, I think he hit over 400. And yeah. then, and then last year was his real. It was his first season in the MLB. He only got 59 games under his belt, and really, he he kind of showed at the end of the season. He was yeah. I, like I, I think you know, is he going to tear the cover off the ball and be mm-hmm. a guy who hits 30 home runs and is driving doubles or anything like that? No, I don't think that's really his game. But you know, he could be a uh, friend of the show, Jeff Van type that just kind of loops some Texas leaguers over the shortstop. Sometimes you just on. need that Texas leaguer. Yeah, and just, like, yeah. just be consistent. Some, Draw and he, walks. And the Mariners need that guy, too, that is not looking for the long ball. 
Yeah. I think that's something that hurt the Mariners last year was that so many of them were trying to be the heroes between Suarez and France and Julio and, you know, so on and so on is that guys came up thinking they had to play hero ball and they're going for the long ball. And that's what led to a really high strikeout rate for the Mariners. Maybe they need that guy that can come in and just hit that Texas leader just, just put, to get on base yeah, or, just put or it move in runners. Yeah. yeah. So I like that pick. Yeah, I like it too. I think that's a great pick. What about your regress candidate? <laughs> oh, regress. Want well, me to give you uh, Shannon Dreyer's uh, regress candidate? Let me let me let me give mine. I have my regress candidate, and it pains me to say it. I don't even know if it'll count as a regress, but I'm going to say Cal Raleigh. Mm. Just because, yeah, mm. I just because kind of like what Nigel was saying, and not like a huge regress, but because I mean, I mean, what were Cal's numbers last year? He still only hit like two twenty, but then he had what, 30, 32 bombs or something like that. Thirty bombs. So regress might mean he hits two hundred or twenty five bombs, but I just I think the way the Mariners have constructed their lineup, it's like kind of like what Nigel was saying is that are you counting on your everyday catcher to go out there and be a 275 hitter with 30 bombs? Cause that's just asking a lot out of him. Yeah. And so again, just the workload that it takes to be a major league catcher. It's like, you're putting a lot in and maybe Mitch Garver pretends to be a catcher too. Right. So maybe, well, he's going to be primarily a DH, though. Like, That's what I'm saying. But it's like, so who's gonna who's gonna spell Cal Raleigh, or is he just going to be out there catching 130 games? I think that was a big miss by the Mariners not trying to re-sign Tom Murphy, unless they think Harry Ford's going to come up. Which maybe that's their plan of attack. I mean, we'll see the spring training, but like they got to have someone else come in. Yeah, because if you're asking at least at some point during the season, if like, you're asking Cal to catch like 120 games, like his bat's going to struggle for it. Yeah. I don't even know what your best catchers – like, what is what is Salvi Perez? How many games does he play behind the plate back in the day? Not not now because he's more of a DH. But I got to think 110, 115 games is probably your, like, max for a guy. So if you're trying to roll him out there more than that, like, his bat's going to struggle. That's why he'd be my regress. Not because he's losing talent. Just yeah. the workload that they're I feel like they're going to put on him. Even if that just means that he misses time too, like that's how guys get hurt too. Ask a lot of them. So I don't want to see him regress. I don't want to be right about that because I love Cal Raleigh, but feels like a guy that we put a lot on him last year. And I think his average hurt for it. So Nigel, you have a regress candidate, or you? Oh, I was just looking real quick at. Uh, I was gonna add though, like, man, how cool would that games? be though if you do pull up Ford and let him be part of that? That started that opening day roster and just get a few bats in here and there and then back up Cal. Ford's a guy though. I feel like they're already talking about that they're they're gonna work him out at outfield. Just yeah. to, just to get him in the lineup because his yeah. bat is so good that it's like you're a there better. You go. Bat. And then he comes in and he catches for Cal on his off days. Yeah, you're a better bat than you are a catcher. So like, let's find a way to use your bat and that might mean playing left field yeah, you can put any young guy out in the corner outfield it'll be fine he's athletic so it's, yeah. it's not like he's it's not like he's cal raleigh yeah. built like he's a smaller guy with some speed when uh when salvi was when salvi was in his uh 20s he was catching 140 games jesus christ <laughs> yeah well that's why yeah. he's a uh that's a lunch pail dude he's a yeah. first ballot and hall of fame 26 catcher, it so. went down to 128 27, 115, 28, 96, 31. He caught 
31, he caught 124 games. See, I feel like that 110 to 120 is like yeah your sweet spot for yeah. like when top end top yeah. end usage at yeah. catcher. A random name that came to my head that I'm wondering, I'm going to try to research this while we're still on the topic, is Jorge Posada. I'm wondering what he what his uh, most was in a season. We can effort on that. but Yeah. That was another stud. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it came to catching status. <laughs> he wasn't always – he wasn't really a good hitter, but he was – Yeah, I mean more yeah. as a catcher. Yeah, very good catcher, though. But still, he was still a career 273 guy as far as average. Yeah. He was protected in that lineup. I think that helps. Yeah. That like, that's the thing is, like, we're trotting fucking Cal Raleigh out at cleanup sometimes with, like, no protection around him. He was a five-time uh, Silver Slugger winner, too. Wow. Um, <clears throat> my regress candidate, I'm going to go – I don't want to – I don't want to even say that one out loud, so I'm not going to say it. Um, I'm gonna say go, it. I'm going to go with Spire. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. that. that take is expired. <laughs> yeah. Boom. That's not. That's My actual one is uh, JP. Yeah, that that was the guy I was thinking. Yep, too. that's the uh, that's the one that Shannon said. And that's the one I was thinking as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one I said. He I just did, had such a nice wanna, year that like. Yeah, that I think he'll. Especially, I hope that I hope he doesn't. Too. Yeah, I hope he doesn't come back, but. I was just saying, as far as regress, too, it's like he had a really good year for home runs for him. Yeah. Yeah. But he's going to driveline now. Yeah. Is he still going to driveline? Do we know that? I'd fucking hope so. <laughs> I mean, why would I you stop going yeah. after yeah. after the yeah. production he had last year? Yeah, why would you stop enough. going? Yeah. Like, that feels like that's something you need to do for the rest of your career because you've clearly seen the results. <laughs> now, if you regress <laughs> this year, like you're predicting, that. Uh, <laughs> I'd be curious. Uh, Maybe we can call up Driveline and find this out. Has anyone regressed from going to Driveline? Probably a ton. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I'm curious about Results that. may vary. So No, everyone gets better. I don't like talking about regression. I like to think that everyone's yeah. going to play better. Well, you know, we're usually pretty negative about the Mariners, so I figured we had a lot of – it was getting a little too nice, a little too uh, cushy there, so yeah, we, we had to bring we it down We were liking Dom Canzone too much. We had to go <laughs> yeah, we were starting to be a little too yeah, optimistic. Exactly. All right, let's take another quick commercial break by Luke's Pizzas, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Luke from Luke's Pizza here. Are you a dirty, filthy little pizza slut? Me too. Luke's Pizza is now accepting orders. If you'd like to place an order, just text the code word PIZZASLUT to 425-350-2379. Feel free to let me know what toppings you'd like on that pizza. I probably won't put them on there, but it's worth a shot. Because at Luke's Pizza, you know the saying, when you're here, your uh, pizza gets it your way. That's Luke's Pizza Promise. Alright. Hey Luke, what happened to your voice? Did you uh, have another thing at puberty go there a little bit deeper in that moment? <laughs> Take myself off mute. I was watching uh, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs and oh, I was uh, okay. channeling my inner, uh, was it Wild Bill? So yeah, that's uh, uh, scary. In a it good does way. what it's told. In a good way. So we, uh, so we talk- do you put the lotion on the skin before you order the pizza or... <laughs> What's that? What's up? Okay, with that? okay. I'm putting the lotion in the basket. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> that thing's got a hammy. <laughs> Where's my supplies? <laughs> Woo! Auto trader. <laughs> Woo! 
We should do an episode where we just watch Joe Dirt and uh, live react to it from <laughs> top to bottom. I think that's a great idea. You know what we should do is watch it every single day for a year and record a podcast every single day. I heard that's fun to do. Yeah, I've heard of that. No one's um, ever. Or sorry, I've heard that no one's ever done that before, and so we should try it. We'd be the OGs of that. Well, I think yeah. it was for uh, Grown Ups too. <laughs> that was the second one, I think. Maybe that was the first. They did it a couple different times, but I can't remember what their first one was. Maybe it was Grown Ups 1. I don't know. Which is yeah. better, Grown Ups 1 or 2? Haven't seen either of them. Huh. Grown Ups 2 is better. Much like Major League 2 is better than okay. Major League 1. All right, moving on. <laughs> All right, so we talked about it last week that we we're going to bring this onto the show, so it is now time. You called for the thunder, and now you got it. Horns down moment of the week. <laughs> Do you want me to start? I was hoping for a little sound bite there. I would like oh, to have I that. I like to have that added in. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that was worth a try. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I didn't come prepared. You know what, Luke? Uh, You wanted to go first, so I'm going to go ahead and give it to Nigel. Tell me your horns down (laughs) moment of the week. Um, That's funny. I have two, both the ones that Luke is going to say. Yeah, take point. I was. I'll take the. uh, I'll take one of them here. Uh, because I did, I was the one that actually heard this, I think, and told it to you. So apparently, I believe sure, whatever. It, it was the uh, BYU <laughs> men's basketball team was playing the uh, Texas Longhorns this yeah, week. Did you hear about this? Uh, it sounds like I'm about to. <laughs> uh, playing the Tex- Texas Longhorns this week in basketball. And there were uh, nine gentlemen in the uh, student section with shirts that read... Uh, horns down across them and the university asked them to change their shirts at halftime of the game because it was disrespectful and that was at home yeah that was a home game so what do we think about that horns down <laughs> yeah. exactly. it's terrible it's, i think it's this most ridiculous thing i've ever I heard think, in my life i honestly. think you know that you're soft when Mormons at BYU are bullying you, <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I like honestly cannot think of something more soft than a bunch of Mormons. Yeah, they're like, we're gonna drink a bunch of soda and coffee, and then we're gonna go yeah. to the game with a horns down. I shirts. was soaking all night last night. I'm ready for my horns down T-shirt. <laughs> Have we talked Damn. about soaking yet? <laughs> are you familiar with this? No. Please tell me, Tater. You don't know about soaking in the Mormon religion? Oh my no. God. Wow. Boy, do I add to you. <laughs> If you are uh, under no, the dude. age of 18, you should turn the podcast off right yeah. now. So, so Mormons fascinate me, dude. They're so spooky. So soaking <laughs> weird. Soaking is a sex loophole in the Mormon religion that like I don't know how it's exactly worded, but it's like in the I don't know whatever uh Joseph Smith said that it's like like penetration isn't sex it's like thrusting or whatever yeah, it's like the act of the thrusting it's the act of the thrust that's mm. sex so these mormons what they do is is they they penetrate and they have their friends like shake the bed like or like or bounce like, on the bed or bounce on the bed or if it's like a bunk bed you like kick the bottom of it so that it shakes the bed for you and that's how they have sex instead of actually fucking they're they have their virgins. friends, and they're still virgins, so they shake the bed so that all they're doing is penetrating and they're not thrusting. Have you not heard this? <laughs> and we no longer Tater, have a host. Tater's got, Tater's got to go jerk <laughs> off real quick after hearing this, yeah. this kinky shit. Tanner left the building. You've never heard that before. 
No. <laughs> Mormons are fucked up, dude. Sorry for any of our Mormon listeners. <laughs> yeah. You're very nice people, but yeah. wow, that's uh, I, that's no the comment. loophole you never knew. So you should try it. Who knew that our- we all live together, so we <laughs> yeah. you have options. Who knew, that- <laughs> Who knew that our horns down moment of the week was going to turn into a soaking class? I mean, I didn't have that on my in, bingo card. Soaking in general, I think, is a horns down type of topic. <laughs> so anyway, so you know you're soft when you're getting bullied by a bunch of people who can <laughs> soak. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who are soaking? So, anyways, in yeah, in Luke's <laughs> educational corner, that is what that is what soaking is. They but, said that would happen in health class. But anyways, yeah, so. They made they made the poor BYU students change their shirts, which we were joking about. Is that they what they should have done is just also painted their chest, <laughs> yes, yeah, so and so then take their shirts off, and then it's just yeah. painted across their chest. Yeah, that would have sure been I wouldn't have. Play. I'm sure I wouldn't have uh, got by anyways, but would have made for a good laugh though. Yeah. In the end, I think BYU ended up beating Texas by like 15 or something, so they got the last laugh on it. But I'd, how could he be so so soft? I think it adds even being like you're so soft that the opposing team at a home game has to protect you and tell their students to not bully you. Yeah, that's that makes you even more soft. Like, it's like at Arizona at Arizona State games, they have like part of their student section that sits behind the basket, and they literally have like plays. And plays they have like and, plays that yeah. they do while people are shooting free throws to try to distract them. Yeah. Which is like fun. Like that's why college athletics are so much more fun in my opinion than professional sports is that it's like you get way more creativity and passion out of it. But the horns down is disrespectful. Yeah, but then you make you make a fucking scene about that. Can you can you imagine what's going to happen to these Longhorns when they go to the SEC? You think Alabama's not going to give them the horns down? Like, oh, man, it's, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be ridiculous. Like, they're going to crumble. I, I, Man, can't wait to see it. Can't wait. All right, Lukey, what's your horns down of the week? Horns well, down moment of the week. I don't know who to direct my hate and vitriol to, but uh, this past, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, so when, right after our last episode, there was a PJ event. I already don't remember what it is. But the an amateur Nick Dunlap from Alabama won won the event, which I think had, if I heard correctly, you know this is over a week ago now. But I think it was eight and a half million in total prize money, with one and a half going to the winner. And because he's an amateur and plays in college, gets zero dollars for winning the tournament, which then goes to like second place, and then every all the payouts bump down a spot. It's like, so I guess the NCAA is who I'm saying is the horns down moment. That it's like in the world <laughs> yeah. of NIL now, like this is the, this is the cause that you're going to. This gonna, is where you want to be when Jesus this, comes back. This is where you want to stand on business and be, <laughs> and be like, oh, we got to stand on business. Yeah. You want to stand on business. Yeah, and be like, cool. You're an amateur athlete. Okay. I know that you won this professional tournament, but you can get no money for it. Whoever I the do, guy in second place is should just give him the money. I I had to look up because I couldn't remember his name off the top of my head. I do see that he is now announced as of four days ago that he is leaving Alabama to, to join the PGA Tour. Smart. Mm. <laughs> you know you can compete with them. Although I don't know how that works either. Is that may, may, maybe for winning the, the tournament? Because usually you, like, you can't just join the PGA Tour. You usually have to 
Yeah, maybe like when you, you win an event, though, you maybe get a maybe card. if you win an event, yeah. Usually, if like if you win, you win an, an event, event, you get a card. You probably. get a card for the year. Yeah, and then you gotta get enough points to keep it. But that's just silly. Like, yeah, why, well, what is what is him getting prize money from this tournament? Like, how does that affect his ability to be? Do we know if this is a PGA thing or an NCAA? Thing? That's why I'm saying I don't know who to direct yeah. my my hate towards. I I'm just assuming it's the NCAA. I feel like this has got to be a PGA thing at this point because like NCAA with the NIL stuff like seems at least with the way people are getting paid in other sports like it seems like this would be within those grounds like you could are you telling money. me but did kevin costner not get paid did uh what's adam sandler not get paid because <laughs> those, no, were, am- those were amateur we, golfers yeah, we that were this but he well he won adam sandler won of one tour events so he definitely not at first though he eventually got paid because he was on the tour yeah if an amateur if an amateur finishes, I guess that kind of makes sense. Maybe it is a PG because I feel like when the yeah, amateurs like a, play like at Augusta, because they make sure to like post that it's an an amateur, like so. I want. I feel like it might be a PGA thing. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to. Do, Maybe you're right that it is a PGA thing, and you have to have a tour card in order to be in the uh, the winnings pool because maybe you don't have to pay to get in. Yeah, who I think I, I don't know. I still think the uh, the guy who's in second needs to not be a coward and uh, fucking coward. And he can take whatever his pay was going to be in second place. You take that and then give the rest to the other guy. Should make the guy who at the back end gets it. He should have to give his money. <laughs> Last <laughs> like, place, like the guy that was one away from <laughs> yeah. from getting paid, who now gets a paycheck from it. He should just have to at least. Your second place guy could do whatever you just said, but the last place <laughs> last guy, place guy also the, has the last to guy has yeah. to give, or at least half yeah. of his money. Yeah. Keep your uh, travel expenses or whatever. Yeah. Which maybe it doesn't even cover that, but yeah, that's yeah. So that's my horns down. Yeah, I think that's we got we got to fix that. Horns down. That we'll uh, we're gonna write a strongly worded email to the PJ about this and uh, get to the bottom of it. Maybe like, get a representative on the show so we can really grill him and ask him questions. Everything about that's it. going on with um, Liv I did Golf. reach out. They denied to comment on that mm. uh, the PGA and the NCAA. Everything that's going on with Live Golf, I just don't know that the PGA Tour needs this kind of bad publicity <laughs> to go with it. Like, Seriously, this yeah. kid should just go for, go on to Live right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving Alabama to join the yeah, Live Tour. Yeah, exactly. Fuck the PGA. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a sick move by that guy. Like leaving Alabama to go join the Live Tour. Suck at PGA. I'm gonna go ahead and throw mine in. Uh, I'm not gonna give too much detail away because if you haven't watched the movie or read the book, I don't want to give too much because it's still <laughs> pretty fresh. But I was pretty feisty with these boys and Kalia uh, after we watched the uh, Boys in the Boat was really looking forward to that movie and I read the book beforehand just to you know lead up to it and boy did the movie like just not I just they got the story like they they basically summed it up but like it's just I feel like they missed a lot of details and a lot of crucial parts of the story and they also like made stuff up along the way like find details that you didn't have to make up or like change up I feel like they kind of dumbed down the entire story and missed a lot of. It was still a long movie. It was like two and a half hours long, so I know there's only it was only two. 
It was only two. So it's like I understand that you want to keep it within a certain range as far as the time of it, but there was definitely like a lot of detail you could have added to to make this like to really add to the story of what it really was. And I feel like they just kind of like cruised through it and really missed on a lot. George Clooney, if you're listening, you took a lot of creative liberties, and Tanner doesn't appreciate it's it. It's honestly, George, it's just, it's irresponsible. Thank it's, you. It's just I'm irresponsible. Well, as the guy with a film studies degree in the room, okay, sorry to flex on you. <laughs> Is he sorry? Yeah. <laughs> Judge's ruling? Yeah. He's not. Sorry, he's sorry he's not sorry. He's hashtag yeah. sorry not sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is that uh, I hate to break it to you, but that's basically like every movie that is made for like big box office. They're trying to take like the path of least, least resistance. You start, you start muddying it up with intricate details and fun stories that are actually like could provide some like great insight to the era or like the things that are going on or the interpersonal relationships. Fucking toothless bastards in Kentucky won't be able to follow. Sorry. Fair point. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Is that so they just have to like dumb it down for like the most like milk toast story they can. Milk yeah. toast. I do think again, I'm trying not to give any spoilers away because it's still a pretty fresh movie. Not a book I mean the book's been out for years, but as far as the movie itself, like there's still people are still probably in the process like it just came out where you can stream it, so I know that not everyone's watched it, but it's still technically in theaters, isn't it? Is it? it might be so. at yeah. least in some theaters. I mean, but it came the, out on Christmas. The one right? thing so. I will say yeah. is that the the main guy they really hit on is Joe Rance, and there was a lot to his childhood that led up to him going to UW and joining the rowing team. And they didn't talk about hardly anything with his childhood. They didn't really bring any of the hardship that led him to that point. And I feel like there was plenty of opportunities where you could have at least had like little flashbacks because they almost like let it up where I was kind of like waiting for the flashback to happen where they would ask about like his about his family or his parents or whatever and it's like you could have had like just that one little moment that would have added like a two three four or five minute clip of just like something about his childhood that like got him to that point and it's just like you took away so much context of the story that just you just you made it kind of dull in my opinion after you read the book like you kind of just you dumbed it down a lot and I understand that you have to dumb it down somewhat, but there's also like stuff about his 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 love life with his his high school sweetheart that they make it suddenly seem like they met for the first time since elementary school and college. Like not Ew. true. <laughs> so it, it's just so much to it that I just I I know a lot of people probably have enjoyed the movie, but if you read the book, I think that it kind of like puts a little bitter taste in your mouth. You guys tell me once you read the book and let me know what you think. Will well, do. You were saying this. I don't care if we spoil it for anybody, because it happened in 1936. All right. So if you don't know the story by now, like it's not a, it's not a spoiler when it's when it's that uh, old. Wazoo fans were rooting for the uh, the opposing team of the Huskies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. Um, these are the same people that voted for uh, what's his nuts from uh, Republic. <laughs> We've touched on soaking and Lauren Culp all in one podcast. Lauren Culp, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Is it like the the movie makes it seem like these guys had never touched an oar before, and then in their first season they went to the Olympics and won it? Yeah. And when it's like obviously, what did yeah. you say it was their third year? It was their junior year. Yeah. Their jun- so three years of rowing, and then that's when they 
that's when they went to the Olympics. Yeah. And the way the movie is set up, it makes it seem like they showed up and it was their first year ever rowing. And then they controversially were picked to go to the Olympics instead of the senior team. And so whatever, that's why, uh, I mean, we're kind of getting off the rails here, but might as well just keep leaning into it is that it's like, it's why I honestly, it feels like, uh, like mini series are way more of a thing now because then you can actually break it into like 10 hour long episodes. So it's a Absolutely. 10, so it's a 10 hour story better. instead of a two hour movie, yeah. which I think they do. Ha- I think they do have that when you watch the, when you rent it, they have another like movie yeah, or something. I'm guessing that's more documentary style than. Yeah, exactly. Than, instead of a know, kind of non-fiction dramatized yeah. version yeah. of the story. Yeah. But. Yeah, but I think that was a good. You could have you could have literally made like a like just the kind of like piggyback off of that like kind of like Band of Brothers how they like did that whole series like you could have made that into the boys in the boat you could have made that into a, probably still will they, they might true this is That's, just this is just like the little Clooney just wanted to get his get his uh, director chops in there and then uh, I think he's directed a few movies at this point yeah nothing this good <laughs> damn well not according to Tanner. <laughs> Horns down. <laughs> Horns down. Um, tune in next week for our Oscar picks. I do want to do that, actually. I <laughs> yeah, want to do I an Oscar. I think that's a great idea. Oscar preview. We'll do an Oscar preview on the, uh, on the next pod. So tune in. All right. Well, that's the Horns Down uh, moments of the week for us. We're going to go ahead and do one more quick segment on the Huskies because it's been catching fire a little bit. So I'm going to give this off to Nigel to give us kind of a breakdown of what's been going on. So, Nigel. Please take it away. <laughs> please, Jesus. please. Oh, yeah. He's still thinking about soaking. <laughs> please. He's here, uh, but his mind is wandering. Um, just a few things I think since we've we've touched base uh, on the last pod, there was a lot of lot of uh, kind of anarchy going on with guys in the transfer portal and so i think some of some of those things have been settled a little bit and a couple of guys have come back so just kind of a quick update on that um basically the entire offense is gone (laughs) at this point um yeah i sent a thing to luke the other day but i believe eight of the 11 starters on offense last year are entering the draft is that number correct maybe it's seven um, seven of the 11 i think it was yeah, eight I, think, of the 11. I think the only three that aren't entering are the, the draft interior are linemen, guard right. center guard yeah Kalepo, brailsford and buello yeah Kalepo, brailsford buello were the only ones that weren't entering the draft and all of them are are leaving um yeah one to alabama and two to old miss right yeah yep. i believe that's correct so um you're gonna have an entirely entirely new offense which i believe is the first time that a uh a national champion is losing all 11 of their starters. Well, we were a national champion. But. Sorry, a team that played in the national championship is losing all their starters. Or it might even be just a team in the playoff that's losing every starter. So a lot of questions coming in there for next year. And uh, it's going to be, in particular, the O-line, a little scary. But O-line is definitely the scariest out of it. Yeah, that in, in my mind, yeah. O-line's got to be... There's a lot of overhaul that's going to have to happen. But good news with a couple people coming back. We've got Landon Hatchett coming back um, officially now as of yesterday, I think. Um, he got some starting some starting reps, freshman out of uh, Ferndale. 
pretty pretty good prospect. So glad that he's going to be back. Um, who's the uh, the guy who was supposed to start at center this year? Um, Guard Memoir. Memoir. He's coming back as well. So you've got you've got those two. We have an incoming transfer from San Diego State that is uh, a tackle that I think is going that hasn't entered the portal that he'll be back. So you've got a couple of guys that at least I think are solid starting potential guys, but it, it's still going to be a, a big overhaul. Obviously, the big one, Will Rogers, is uh, is coming back or is going to be playing quarterback not coming back here but he's out of the transfer portal and coming back to the huskies so we at least have a starting quarterback at this point which i think is positive well what was the deal with the guy from arizona that came in from the transfer portal he's still coming he's still coming as well he's so, just a true freshman yeah so okay so there's have, real no quarterback controversy there no pro- most likely Probably not most likely not knows, but you never though. know so there's also um arizona's number one number one recruit this this past year he was a quarterback recruit that um i watched in the it wasn't the all whatever uh senior army army Army, navy Navy game that he was army all-american army all-american bowl with all the high school seniors damon williams or something yeah damon williams um shorter guy kind of kyler murray-esque um yeah, we talked about it a little bit on yeah, the last pod. Yeah, talked about it a little bit. So he's he's coming coming in. So we got our other. I think it was uh, trying to remember his name off the top of my head, but it's like Demaricus Davis. I think yeah. he's out of uh, Lincoln High School. I think. Yeah, yeah, the guy that. But he was yeah, a four-star quarterback that was committed to UW long ago, and then he entered the portal, but then announced he's that he's coming, coming back. back. So we got two. Two four-star freshman quarterbacks coming in. You yeah. get Will Rogers to right the ship for a year, yeah. most likely, is yeah. how that probably will shake out. You've also gotten uh, Arizona's running back, which I think we talked about that on the last pod as well. Yeah, Jonah Coleman. Jonah Coleman. Um, and Cam- Tybo Rogers has now yeah. announced our he won our second-string running back this year. Honestly, the offense is looking fine outside of the offensive line. Yeah, exactly. You got Jeremiah Hunter from Cal who's staying – yeah. You have Denzel Boston, Jeremy Bernard, Jeremy obviously Bernard. transferred to Bama. Oh, did he? Yeah, Jeremy Bernard went to Bama. I did not yep. hear that. Shit. Yeah, so you lose him, and Tayshawn Lyons also left, who was also a pretty promising wide receiver. Rasheed Williams, though, hasn't transferred. He's a pretty big-time wide receiver who redshirted this year. Gotcha. So, he was, yeah, he was the four-star that came in last year. Jed right? Fish is an offensive guy, and he's a wide receiver guy. So Specifically, so like, so I mean, you offense, feel good about offense that. skill positions are going to be fine. Yeah, it's honestly the offense and defensive line right now. Yeah, that I'd be most worried about. You got the kid Prysock from from Arizona, DB six four corner. That was um, I think he was second team All Pac twelve. Yeah, I think. So, I think you also you also lost uh, Jabbar Muhammad to you know and. That's that's something that I want to go off on for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't think we need to break down every position group because we'll have plenty of time. Yeah. to do that. Let's talk they're about get, that one. They're yeah, getting that, guys. That one was huge. They're getting guys coming in. They're getting guys leaving. And you know, I think a lot of people got hate for Jabbar Muhammad right now that are Husky fans, and I get it because he's going to Oregon. I don't blame the guy personally because I mean, he came to UW and he was here for one year, had a good ride, and then he's out the door and he's going to Oregon. 
I think it's more so for me as like a traditional in my mind, a traditionalist college football fan is that I like, I like that kids get NIL money in the transfer portal and like these opportunities are afforded to them. It does bum me out though, that like classic college football, classic rivalries. that it's like, all that's kind of out the window now. Yeah. That it's like, you know, even go to the highest bidder, even five years ago that it's like, if you went to UW, you would never go to Oregon or Wazoo. Yeah. Like you just wouldn't do it. And now it seems like that's not really a consideration for these guys. Now he's not also not a UW guy, you know? No. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, I get it. It's like he transferred here. He's here for one year. He's already a mercenary corner. And so go to the highest bidder. So I don't know, which is why I'm surprised he didn't go to the draft. I don't know that that's entirely gone, but it is largely it's it's fading, I guess. Yeah, and even I I get it too because like your coach leaves, but it does. I don't want to sound like you know get off my lawn type of thing, but there is something too. Is like there's transfers and like obviously the Huskies have also benefited from the transfer portal, so it's not like it's a one way road. But it's like, there is part of me too when I see some of this. It's just kind of like, it used to be you committed to the university. And now you expect and hope that your coach is going to be there the entire time. But it's like, you commit to the purple and gold. Doesn't matter who the coach is. Like, and now Jabbar Muhammad doesn't really fall. I'm, I'm honestly more bummed about like Geary and Hatchet. Yeah. Kid from Agreed. Ferndale that like pretty big time recruit out of Ferndale grew up a Husky fan. His brother Landon is staying, which is great. So respect to him. But it's just kinda like he he's going to Oklahoma, which I think it was down to Oklahoma and UW when he was getting recruited, so it makes sense that now he's going to Oklahoma. But it's like same with Kaleppo. Yeah. You know, he was a he was a guy that was big on like represent the city, like XYZ. It's like here's your chance. Like you know, I, I I do think for the guys that did stay, it's like that's the biggest like compliment you can give to a a Husky player in my mind is that it's like you went through two or three coaching changes and you stayed through it the entire time. Yeah. That's what makes you a Husky legend. So like that's what you want out of your players, but can't fault a guy for doing what's best for him. But it does bum me out, especially like I said, Gary and Hatchet's a big one because it's like I thought you were a dog through and through. Yeah. Once a dog, always a dog. Like yeah, but at some point, it's like, I'm sure the money's marginal. Plus, you're going to be a starter on this team. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand going to, like, Oklahoma, Ole Miss. Like, what, you want to go You want to go play second fiddle in the SEC? Like, <laughs> Oklahoma, yeah, you both, those, a- both those, Oklahoma and Ole Miss, like, those teams aren't going to win, aren't going to win the SEC next year. If they do, I'd be shocked, you know? So, like, the Huskies probably have a better ch- or equal chance better chance than than either of those teams do so i, I don't know i don't know why you'd want to want to transfer there i don't know but wish them all the best but some of those guys well like i said jabbar muhammad that's a different thing but yeah you want you want to see guys that want to want to do it for the purple and gold yeah but do you guys think, I mean, I know that the take is that you don't want to be the guy that's like the get off my lawn mentality, but do you think the transfer portal is severely hurting college football as far as tradition and loyalty and, and all of that? Like, 
is just, just going to keep getting worse and worse as time goes on because it's still a relatively fresh thing. Worse isn't the word that I'd use. The transfer portal was just, and we kind of talked about this before, so I'm just going to piggyback off of what we had said before is that like it's that you went to a playoff model. The transfer portal is just a byproduct of all of that. Like the playoff system is what has ruined like traditional college football because like you now it's is that it's going to go down another. I'll just open up this conversation too. Is that it's like you know it used to be really regional and it's like Rose Bowl, Big Ten, Pac-12, and like you changed all of that and it changed college football that it's more of an NFL model now. It's like you either are a team that's getting in the playoffs. Or it doesn't matter. You've like that's why nobody the bowl games suck now because guys are either in the transfer portal or they're sitting out because they're getting ready for the draft. You've already devalued that. Yeah. So the transfer portal is just a byproduct of what has already been happening. Is that bowl games? You know, you, there used to be a time that getting to the holiday bowl was like a big a thing. Good thing. Yeah. You get a chance to practice for another month. Like. Your squad it's a build gets up a, game for your squad for more to come. Yeah, your you squad know. gets to travel together. You get that time. You get a little pampered. You know, like you get some things, and you know, it was important. And now, like, nothing's important unless you go to the playoffs. Yeah. And so the, the transfer portal, in my mind, is just a byproduct of that. Guys are. It's like this team can't compete for a playoff spot. It's time to go. And now with nil too, that it's like also like who's the highest bidder, so. I don't know that things are going to get worse is the I wouldn't blame that on the transfer portal. That's just more of the the system that has been created now with the playoffs. Yeah. And uh again, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I was gonna pose this too, is that it's like and I'm not the first person to say it, but we'd already talked about how it's gonna get more like the NFL where basically you just have two super conferences that then meet I wouldn't be surprised if there's a salary cap coming too with that with NIL. Yeah. Because right now, I think you do have a lot of people that, like, this isn't fair. Like, the highest bidder just wins every time. Yeah. So I think eventually it'd be like, well, we'll take the 64 teams or however many it is, 60 teams that say that they can commit to a $25 million, whatever it is, $50 million salary cap a year. Can your school afford that? Great. You can be in it. Yeah. And everybody has the same amount of money to spend. I think that's where it's headed. Or at least the, the cap of the same amount of money you can spend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you can meet the cap. Yeah. Like you have enough, you have enough money that you can commit. Can you commit to 10 years of having a $50 million cap? You put yeah. 50 million towards player it, expenses every year. And now it, now it's level that everybody pays the same amount. I think the, the thing like, I, to answer or, to go back to the original question, Tan, I don't think that the transfer portal is the biggest issue necessarily. I think it's that the rules haven't like caught up to it yet. <laughs> and like, like for the Huskies, for instance, it's like you went to the playoff and you, all the other coaching changes and everything's already happened. The transfer window already happened. So now you're stuck with, You've already you you're past the window, and so now you can only pick up players that are within your within or like the teams that are making changes at that point. Like you can't go and restock the shelves. DeBoer leaves after the transfer window's exactly. already closed, and so it's like you you punish the teams. You punish the team that does well and gets to the gets to the finals and doesn't isn't in the shuffle before all of this happens. Now you're 
pushing it, you know, I don't think the Huskies are going to get pushed back that far, but like they're getting pushed back a lot farther than I think they would have been had this not, or had this happened or had they had the same opportunities for players as everyone else had a month and a half before or a month before DeBoer left. So I think they need to like change the rules on that so that it's a, it's a fair playing field for everybody. Cause like, it's the same for Alabama too, realistically that their coach leaves. Now guys enter the transfer portal and, or Michigan, same thing. It's like guys enter the transfer portal. They can't go restock the shelves like everyone else could. Yeah. You only have those other teams whose coaches left exactly. to, to pick from. Exactly. I wonder if the for NCAA now. just like, just wasn't prepared for the idea of just pure mayhem happening with the the teams that were actually in the college they're not prepared for they're not prepared for anything, anything and never have been <laughs> yeah. that's the problem and so there's but it no, just seems like a major miss though like not thinking of this scenario that could happen even the teams that made it to the playoffs there could still be a complete turnover yeah. if just a couple things happen yeah they need to they need to just change the rules so that every like all these things happen in the same window for each other you know it's like and you give all the teams the same fair opportunity because an NFL team would never have to turn over 22 players. You know, like your 22 starters for this season all left in free agency. That'll never happen because you have rules in place that every, you know, like and I think these, that's things, why. <laughs> these things happen at this time and this time. And so your salary cap point is kind of where that comes in. It's like you need some rules and regulations to go by that, like, I, and players should get paid. We've like we've stood on that ground. We've stood on that business for <laughs> for a long time now. It's twice now. Yeah, <laughs> had to throw it back in there. Business, but like you gotta you gotta make it fair for everybody too, so that so that team team like the Huskies aren't getting screwed out of the opportunity to sign players and get the same opportunity as everyone else. I think that's bullshit. So I think uh, I said. I think you're right that things are going to get a little more regulated and centralized at some point so that it is like fair, fair in air quotes yeah. across the board. I do have one hot take on Jed Fish Ooh. And, what I'm, and what I'm seeing or at Sizzling. least thinking about is that I do think that there's going to be a salary cap, but trying to look at this jed fish thing with some silver lining and i don't know if you guys saw that he was like at the clippers game sitting courtside the other week did you see that did not no nope. sitting with steve balmer oh mm. yeah, yeah okay sitting I... courtside and so i do think that like jed fish like i said his thing is recruiting and from the sounds of it it's not just recruiting players is that he's out there and he's kind of said it in some interviews already that it's like we want to get bill gates like steve balmer like we we live now we you know he just (laughs) got here but he's like we live in a city you know like with all these big corporations and stuff and like big money that it's like this might be the real silver lining for jed fish is that he knows how to play the game or he there might come a time grease palms yeah exactly is it there might come a time where there's a salary cap for like nil but there isn't right now jed fish he kind of gives me like greasy car salesman vibes but in a good way that it's like now is the time if you have Jed Fish and it sounds like he's doing it, get UW to be like miles ahead as far as NIL money goes and establish yourself now that you're this big spender. They might pull in the reins and be like, here's a salary cap, XYZ. But like Oregon did that with Phil Knight and 
all of that, that it's like establish yourself though, that you're that school before they start putting restrictions on it so that everybody knows, like even when they pull the salary cap down and you can't be the biggest spender and everybody spends the same, have the like brand image that you guys are the like, money school you're the big yeah we're the tech we're the tech wizards in, in you the have northwest the, and we have every single tech billionaire is spending money in our program exactly and like even if it's you can't spend all the nil money it's like we have the best facilities you need something you're going to get it yeah yeah and like i do think jed you have fish all the resources yeah in your hand. and i think jed fish is that type of guy like i said he's kind of the car salesman guy that it's like go to steve Ballmer and be like we need more money yeah we need more you with money, we need more. Yeah. And like build up the program through money. Cause like at the end of the day, like and that's, that's what, what it is. That's, that's what, what it it's is. all about. That's what, that's what the sport's all about. Now. So I'm, I'm feeling, you know, the last time we like Jed fish, it's still new, blah, 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 blah. I'm seeing a little bit of this. And it's like, that is where Jed fish could really put his stamp on this UW program is that it's a weird landscape. It's the wild west right now in football. Be the guy that gets UW more money than anybody. I mean there's more corporate money in in Seattle than the entire SEC like yeah you know, yeah like, that's for sure when it comes when it comes to like and major business I thought I like, saw the other day too is that I, again I saw it on Twitter but it was like per tax filing stuff that it's like UW was top 10 in NIL spending this last year now doesn't mean that people aren't spending stuff that isn't on tax records yeah sure but like you have an opportunity You've always had the opportunity, but it sounds like you might have a guy that's going to capitalize on the opportunity that it's like, we need money. Yeah. I mean, that's been the, that recruit I, donors. I, that's been the, that's been the, the one or one of the promising things since, since he's got here is spent no time spent or wasted no time immediately like pointing that out. Like there is a ton of money in, in business here and I want it yeah. <laughs> for the program. So, and that includes getting your coaches paid. Be yeah. a destination. Like yeah. I said, is that I get Bama's, I get why DeBoer would go to Bama because they are a tradition, but like UW is traditionally a powerhouse too. Yeah. Now bring the money along with it. Yeah. Send it over the top. Yeah. So that's kind of my hot take on fish. I like that. I'm, take. I'm liking what I'm seeing from him so far. Obviously recruiting. I think he's done a good job getting players in. You're going to have to find some things out on the trenches, but like you can only yeah. do so much in given the restrictions, like you said, that yeah. the transfer window. I'll, I'll be really curious to see what happens with the, uh, is it like March, April, after the quarter, <laughs> I think, when they have the other, the the uh, transfer portal open again. I think it's eight, April 1st through the end of the month. Yeah. Is the next, tra- is when yeah. it opens. So I'll be curious if anything anything shakes up then you know, is with Arizona guys still like, I think there's still movement to be made. Just because guys don't participate in spring ball doesn't mean they don't know how to how to play ball. So, I think I think there's more movement to come, and I I hope that uh, he can he can bring some more talent in. So, yeah, go dogs, go Look, dogs, dogs. Really good take. Give yourself an applause. Do I saw? Uh, <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have it queued up. <laughs> Hey, Nigel, before we sign off here, do you think you can be our greasy car salesman that gets the show more uh, sponsorship, more money? I'd love to. I have one real quick take on Jed Fish also before we before we sign off. Though. Oh, okay. oh, great. Yeah, this is this is a pretty hot one. Okay. Uh, Jed Fish is a visor guy. Whoa. 
And, it's not really uh, a hot take. That's an observation. Are you still going? Oh, no, no, I'm, st- still, no I'm still, still going. going. Okay. I'm still going. I'm just saying I'm I'm really, as much as I want to see you know a lot of good prospects coming in here, I'm pretty excited to see what uh, kind of visor selection comes out for uh, apparel choices Ooh, through yeah. Adidas um, because I am also a visor guy. And really? So, yeah, I'm a big-time visor guy. And so I mean, with a head of hair like this, why would you not be? you gotta, you got to let the curls breathe. So but you still got to protect your face from the sun. Yeah, exactly. You still got to protect, you know, SPF SPF uh, five from the visor. So I'm pretty excited to see what kind of uh, visor selections are going to be available here because it's been pretty minimal, and which is why you don't see me rocking a visor usually because it's very minimal selection. So uh, that's what I'm most we excited need coach about. Approved gear. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about is uh, what Jed Fish can bring to the table with uh, the visor apparel selections. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah. That is a hot take. Love it. All right. We are signing off. Thank you for listening. Tell your kids, tell your wife, tell your friends to listen to the Bring Your Lunch Pill Sports Podcast. And don't soak. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's it. Don't, be a, don't be a coward. <laughs> Hayes in the barn. See ya. See ya. See ya. What can you tell us about soak? Uh, I have never participated but uh what is soaking soaking is the phenomenon of uh inserting the into the and not moving i don't believe that it's a real thing never heard of anyone actually doing it it is a phenomenon around here but uh i don't think it's real i think it's a conspiracy i don't think it's real i think it's a conspiracy i think it's a conspiracy you've never heard of anybody soaking out here personally no but do you believe the rumors to be somewhat true I'm sure all rumors start with the grain of truth. I'm sure all rumors start with the grain of truth.